here at ACO Radio, American Communications Online, or any affiliated stations or websites are not responsible for what guests, hosts, or call-ins may say. All programming is intended for informational and entertainment purposes only. Thank you. That was a mad painter, also known as Thomas R. Becker. He's one of our general man the only general manager one of our one of our directors <laughs> but the only general manager we have helping us get online these days this is tj morris uh Teresa j morris and we do friday nights here for tj morris et radio but we're sponsored by aco association which also has the allied command officers and we're not trying to compete uh, with Allied Command over in Europe or the Secure, but some people, when they pull up the Allied Command organization, that's all they see. But you can pull us up on ACO Association, and then you will see that we also have the Allied Command officers, which we are working on together. And I actually do have the name AlliedCommand.org, so that's all the little information that we need. So the domain name is alliedcommand.org, but it will point you now directly to ACO Association. So uh, if you like this radio show, uh, you can thank all those that are attending, which is Ken R. Johnston Sr., Thomas R. Becker, Teresa J. Morris. And uh, for seven years, we've had Thomas Anthony Sinisi working with us. And so he's chose to put his little donation in the Patreon pot. We have patreon.com forward slash allied command organization. So uh, you know about that now. And uh, what we're doing is building a community and uh, hope to work together. And we're going to go down the line here. Mad Painters tuned in first, then uh, Ken R. Johnston, and he's our fleet commander of many. Uh, focused groups on free Facebook, but we'll let him introduce himself in a moment. Let me get a mad painter first, then Ken, and then Tommy called in. So, uh, and I'll keep Ken on mute while he's moving around there. So, uh, right now, Ahmed, you're live and on the air. Would you like to introduce yourself, please? Uh, my name is Thomas R. Becker, but I go by a mad painter everywhere on the Internet. If you Google that, you can find me. Uh, I've been a radio host for about 10 years. Uh, I'm very interested in uh, UFOs and alien contact, even though I've never uh, experienced either one, really. But uh, I do believe, so <laughs> that's why I'm here. So check check out, uh, just Google me. You'll find all kinds of stuff, and uh, I think that's about it. Well, that was short and sweet. Let's see. Uh, okay, I'm going to unmute Ken R. Johnston, our fleet commander for our ACO association group. Ken, would you like to? Yeah, let me. First of all, let me. Uh oh. <laughs> now you're back. I heard one, two, three anyway. Well, okay. I testing one, two, three, four. Can you hear me now? Yes. Now we're fine. Oh, very good. Okay. Um, for those who don't know me, I was uh, one of the uh, first four civilian astronauts with Grumman Corporation that built the lunar modules back during the 1960s. Um, my job uh, as one of the civilian astronauts was to test it in the vacuum chambers, be sure things work good, and then help train the regular NASA astronauts to fly it so that they could go to the moon. And we were one great team, and 
that's why we accomplished getting to the moon and back because of people that were dedicated to doing that and not being worried about who we were and what we were. Now um, I'm having the privilege of coming forward and uh, telling some of the things that went on and I, in my life that may well be connecting with some of you folks out there that may have had contact with extraterrestrials in your life when you were younger, older. And I'm willing to get into that discussion right now uh, when if you want to call in and we could go from there. So uh, we have a great fort, a future ahead of everyone here and uh, looking forward to the opportunity of, of making more direct contact. I think that'll get me started. How's that? That's great. I like your voice and your inflection's great. So I'll uh, now, Ken, I'll just leave you on right now and hopefully we won't have any feedback. But, Ahmed, I'm going to get you to help monitor that uh, while I introduce Tommy. Tommy, you can take yourself off mute. I, don't, I have you open line. If you'd like to introduce yourself and you represent our Ohana spiritual group, but also the UFO Association. So we're calling ourselves Allied Command because we're grouping our ACO Association, our UFO Association, and our ACE Metaphysical Institute. And then uh, we'll, at the end of the show, mention our spiritual community on Sunday. Can you hear me, Tommy? Yes. Can you hear me okay? Yes. Good sound check. Perfect. Go okay. ahead, Tommy. Loud and clear. Uh, greetings. I just spent a lot of money on my computer. Better be working okay. Uh, Tommy Hawksblood here. I go into Hawksblood 1 all over the Internet if anybody wants to find me. Uh, most of my books, everything I do is on the Hawksblood 1. But uh, I'm from Hawaii, the big island. A lot going on here with the UFO world at nighttime, daytime. Uh, more people see things by the ocean here in Hawaii. We have a lot of crystal ships, green ships going into the ocean. Uh, I guess you could talk about one out of ten people on a daily basis, and they all say they saw ships or saw something going into the ocean and things like that. So it's really active here. I mean, we, we're close to the Army base. The Army base is doing a lot of testing here as well. Uh, they're testing out their ships and things all the time. we got bombs going off. So it's a wild, crazy place, but uh, I've been involved with this all my life, so it's not anything outrageous to me, but to people that didn't experience it yet, please, I'm putting out a, a manual on how to see a UFO. It'll help anybody that never saw a UFO see it, and I promise that. All right, TJ, back to you. All right, thank you. All right, well, we have uh, three gentlemen here, and uh, tonight uh, we're going to do Allied Command Organization bringing in ACO Association, which is integrative with UFO Association Org, and how we're going to build our trade association for professional entrepreneurs and uh, those that are independent contractors such as ourselves. And uh, we're going to do what we can to stick with alienology. And uh, what I put up tonight was alienology, cosmology, parapsychology, which I like to delve into, into uh, precognition a little bit and how that plays with our ufology and ufology, of course. And uh, we have... Uh, June 26th here, I believe it is. Uh, on a Saturday, we have a psychic fair I'm involved in. But uh, normally, we will talk about different events that we may be participating in together. Uh, but uh, we will talk about that and ask uh, as it gets closer to various uh, groups that we will be helping, mainly uh, getting people to join us. So with that said, uh, we're going to talk and I'm going to turn it back over for 
I guess we'll go, uh, Ken, uh, you're sort of the fleet commander of this group, and then Ahmed, and then Tommy, and then me. So we'll rotate that way. So, uh, of course, on my board, you're at the bottom when you called in. So <laughs> for me, it's bottom <laughs> up. <laughs> I'm, I'm lucky I actually got in at the last five seconds. So I was trying to get, with having had my computer get crashed this past week and then trying to get everything back up and work again. And I'm not an IT person. I'm a, you know, a spacecraft pilot and an professional pilot and retiree and all those other fun things. But what one of the things that I want us to talk about would be to get into uh, – there, there goes a the computer. I better back away from that thing. It might explode on me. Um, <laughs> we, we need to take a look at the fact that the extraterrestrials have tried way back when to make contact with the, 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 the powers, the governments, the, uh, the rulers of organizations all the way back to ancient times in, in human existence on this planet. And that's to reach the point now to where they realize if they're going to really bring us into the allied organization of intelligent beings in this universe, they're going to have to go directly to us people. So I, I view what we're doing as a way that we're putting together an organization which indirect with hundreds or even thousands of people that are involved in wanting to make full disclosure of our direct contact with extraterrestrials, because we are now moving into that phase where it's time for Earthlings, us humans, to be able to um, take our, our position within the, the Intergalactic Federation of Planets. So that's kind of where I'm standing tonight, and that's kind of one of the subjects that I hope that we can get into. And uh, with that, I'm going to turn it back over to uh, the next one up the line. How's that? Okay. I, I totally agree with with uh, uh, Ken there. I, I believe that if if we are going to make uh, a disclosure happen, uh, get contact, it's going to be on a uh, grassroots level. And what we hope to create here is a base platform for contact and them knowing that we are all on the same page with wanting contact. Right. Absolutely right. And that's been the problem, is it? Um, oh, gosh. We're talking about back, um, back in, before the right beginning of the 60s, where whenever um, they did the War of the Worlds movie or, or the radio program, and some people panicked, even jumped off the top of buildings because they thought that we were being attacked by aliens. Well, human beings, you, you go on the street and you talk to anybody and you say, do you think there are really such things as UFOs and aliens? And 99.9% .9 of people, absolutely, no problem. So I think as, as a species, we've matured enough that now we're about ready to take our place in in the overall galactic of intelligent beings. So, yeah, I'm I'm with it all the way with you. Guaranteed. Let's, let's make it happen. Who's up? Tommy. <laughs> all right. Uh, I'm on top of things from my life uh, as far as the UFO world. I have a little bit uh, different viewpoint because I experience people – that we're dealing with abductions of their children, and then they they take the children away from them. Uh, I had I had multiple proof in the time frames, which is like 40, 35 years ago, when I was dealing with abductees and they lose their children. Uh, I have X-ray sonograms. I was looking at everything at that time frame. So yeah, we have good and bad aliens, and people have to realize whoever we decide to talk with, we will have to be the race that wants to decide to talk to us back. But uh, through my interim, I was only six years old when a ship was coming to abduct my brother, uh, for some reason I'm protected in a lot of different things, which I don't want to go into detail, but I did stop my brother from getting abducted. 
I, I worked with on many abductees. Uh, so uh, Bud Hopkins' favorite person who he started his whole career with was my best friend, and I worked with her for a year. Uh, but she never said anything bad about the Greys because she said the Greys never really hurt her. So, uh, again, it's what programming a person's given when, they, when they're sent off the ship back to planet Earth or just up into space, however you want to look at it. But uh, it's, it's good and bad and everything, but it's our perception of good and bad. What's an alien's agenda probably is not the same as our agenda. And I always say, the, the thing that I ask, why do you think aliens would really want to come here to help us do what? Uh, we can destroy the universe if we got high tech, which we're building constantly. But I can tell you this for a fact, the last thing I'll say, Nikolai Tesla worked with an alien race. They gave him his technology. But they knew what he was going to do with that technology. I shouldn't say he was, but what was going to happen to it. And all the weapons that was created out of that are serious weapons to the planet right now. I'll leave it at that. I agree that, that there's good and bad and everything, and we're not looking for the bad aliens to contact us, by the way. <laughs> okay. Well, I was one of the fortunate ones to be trained from the time I was born with out-of-body near-death experiences. I, I didn't think of that as bad because I didn't know good or bad. I just knew I was very sick in the beginning. But uh, the first time I was taken up, as a contactee, or a, I would I wouldn't say I remembered a family. So to me, having a family in space was normal. And uh, then at, that was before Sputnik came across. So by the time Sputnik came across, I'd already been up off of the planet and in a cloud, so to speak. So I have that reality in my mind, in my consciousness. So from there, I uh, had hepatitis, and so I. I uh, left my body then, so to me, again, uh, my part in this discussion, our panel, would be uh, bringing forth that I have this relationship with beings that have a soul is because I learned that we have souls, and our consciousness goes with that, and I traveled out of body, so to me, you know, leaving and coming back is normal, and I have this reality that the family that I had here born on earth and I was born here on earth they've left a lot of my relatives so I'd like to bring to the table uh, in the future let's hope we have an event of our own but until then you know if we were all sitting at a table if you could envision an event coming up uh, my part would be to share my family that to me is just as real as those on the ground and I actually worked with my husband before he passed for 20 years on the planet but we got to experience the Allied Command force or it's a space force that goes universally between galaxies so we can't really say that we only know one galaxy and we learned about wormholes in space and how one can travel. And I was teaching that back in Hawaii a long time ago, like 89 to 94 while I was in the government. But I'd go over to, this, over to the uh, planetarium and help people explaining how travel happened. And I would use a pen and point, point from where I was in Hawaii and go down to Africa. And I've been to Africa in this reality and saw the 
stars. So I have a different reality, but that could be why I'm in communications now. And I'd like to talk a little bit about what I got from them as it's my turn to speak again. But I think we're rotating pretty good. So uh, we'll just keep this rotation up so it rolls back down to Ken Johnston. <laughs> so, Ken, okay. whatever you want to add. Yeah, I, mean, um, I find it's fascinating because once you – we had kind of let down our shields a little bit, and we start uh, talking with our, with people, and you get to know them, such as uh, just now while TJ is telling us that um, – the, when she had her first experience as a small child um, with extraterrestrials, and um, when you take a look at my family, I'm the third was the third born to the family and the third son, and the older the oldest boy, Ar, uh, five years older than me, dark hair, brown eyes, etc. And Jimmy, uh, the middle boy, 17 months older than me, he had dark hair, brown eyes, so. And then here I come along with. Blonde, blonde hair, pale skin, and uh, hazel green, blue eyes. So um, that, whenever I was two years old, um, I, I was born with a cyst over my left eye, over the left eyebrow. And um, they decided they were going to operate and remove that cyst. Well, once soon as he got the cyst removed, my heart stopped beating and I stopped breathing. And the, uh, fortunately, the doctor had just two weeks earlier had had a, a course in pre- giving what they call mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. So he just apparently was totally threw the tools away and operating tools and grabbed me and started giving mouth-to-mouth resuscitation and called for uh, assistance to come in. By the time they got there, I was sitting up and crying. Well, ever since then, um, everybody said that I was a lot different than my two brothers. And we, we look in the, the metaphysical side and at people that are what we call walk-ins, and um, I've been totally convinced. Now, you know, for the things, and you look at my background in history and being in a, a civilian astronaut and all that, uh, those kind of things I never really talked about because the average person, they although they go really strange or it's something they haven't experienced and they haven't been connected with anyone that has had that kind of experience. But now uh, it, I'm comfortable with coming forward you know, that I probably am a walk-in, if you want to use that term, from when I was a three-year-old. And uh, up to where I am now. So um, I hope that um, whoever I am, I came with a lot of experience and stuff to help with the Allied Command and work with uh, us bringing in direct contact as threshold and bringing what we call full disclosure. So that's kind of my whole purpose in this thing is um, who knows? I think uh, we will be ready. And uh, if they don't want to go and talk to um, President Trump or um, uh, the, the people in Korea, well, they can come directly to our Allied Command, and we can expose it over the radios and to um, the ACO organization, and we'll touch thousands and thousands and thousands of people. So this is where we're headed, and I'm ready to go the rest of the way with you. Next, come on, bring it up. Well, I, I want to drop back to what Tommy was saying there uh uh, personally, I, I believe that we we have to consider that uh, aliens in general. Now I'm putting quotes in the air on each side of this. Uh, we we cannot we we cannot even fathom what their mindset is. We're we're not them. We we can't understand their mode of thinking. 
So what we consider good and evil might not necessarily be the same thing they consider good and evil. And we have to remember this, you know, as we make contact with with extraterrestrials. Uh, But I do believe that there are what we would consider evil ones, and, and then there are ones we consider good ones. But they don't necessarily consider themselves evil, if you understand what I'm saying. I follow you. We we have to keep this in consideration. Yes, they probably got an agenda for them to come, you know, intergalactic distances to check us out. Or, <laughs> I mean, they just wouldn't fly by once and you know, or twice if they were just checking us out. I mean, they're here. Well, there's too many reports now. How they getting here or where they're coming from? That's a good question too. Yes, it so is. I just wanted to put that I, out there. I, I agree with you. One of the things I would like to add to that is that if we are really get into, and we're going to get into the, the theology side of things too, as I understand maybe, is that the evidence points to the fact that we are also DNA connected with uh, one or two of the various uh, species of extraterrestrials. So that is part of the reason that they can observe what they created by Homo sapiens sapiens on the planet Earth or initially on Mars and then transferring on over here to the United States when they had the big collision. So there, there's so much that has happened in the past several thousands of years. And um, I personally think that uh, we're going to discover that as far as the, and I'm going to use it in turn the allied command, but in, in the form of intelligent beings that have been observing, it's been an experiment that has been started that now has the, the rights and of our own, um, uh, not theology, but I'm trying to say the the beings that we are, we have matured to the point where we have intergalactic rights of existence. And that's where, yes, there are negatives. There's no question about that. But there are tremendous more positives, and I'm very anxious to see us keep moving in the point where we can communicate directly with. And you're right to be able to discover what type of personality that they have. Do They decide, okay, well, Everybody's kind of wacky there on the planet. Let's just get rid of the planet and go, boom, it's gone. I don't think we're dealing with that because there's a higher supreme being <laughs> that's in charge of all of us. So that gets into the religious side, okay? Right. Let's don't go, boom, let's go there. The spiritual side, how's that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Tommy? Oh, wait, no, it's a mad next, right? I'm mad, don't no, you? No, I follow. I don't I feel he was just answering it. Oh, okay. um, then then it's back to Tommy again, and then back to me. Go ahead, Tommy. All right, uh, Ken. Uh, I have two friends involved in NASA. I don't know if you know their names. I don't know if I want to say their names over the air. Uh, both of well, them were killed. Oh, let me talk about Astrox. Yeah. Uh, no, people. Uh, my one friend actually worked on all space probes. He designed special parts that they couldn't get or make. He had a couple-ton machine that he could make any part that they wanted. Uh, oh. And he, and he did. A good friend of mine that, that was there, I can't remember his name right now, but that's exactly what he did and had a separate um, uh, portable office building and factory, so to speak, out the backside of uh, the Lunar Receiving Laboratory. I used to go out I there all the time you. and meet with us. I'll tell you his first name now was what, Robert. Now, yeah, what what's um what year period are you talking about? Uh 
Well, I guess I'm, I've been involved. I've been in Hawaii for 20, about 20, 23 or 24 years ago is when he was taken out, uh, his whole family. So uh, we had plans because he, he was told that he couldn't look at UFO stuff and he came over our house and I was showing him all kinds of UFO stuff. And we were going to set up a thing because he wanted to create a private community, which where we were going to move because he had the land, he had that machine, and he said we can build and create anything we want. And then all of a sudden we were going to have a pool party, and he, his whole family disappeared that day. Uh, and never, heard, never heard from never him heard again. Never heard from him again. Just vanished out of here. I left. I left NASA at the Johnson Space Center in Houston, and um, uh, let's see, that would have been October of 1980. So it's a. Um, if it didn't happen before then, I wasn't in direct contact with him. So, but I do know there was a, a gentleman that we. I visited with him. He even helped me um, make my first uh, 12, 12 inch diameter primary lens for my first big telescope, giant telescope. And he helped me um, with the machine he had there to be able to polish, polish it into the concave uh, scope so that it would focus the images into the, the lenses so that I could look at it on my big, my big telescope that I built myself. So I, I always like to get my hands dirty and get in and get the work done. Well, I have another friend who sent us a letter uh, I was lecturing with uh, Sergio 18 around the United States for Global Sciences, and we got a letter in the mail the day before the conference. This is a warning. Please, you have no right to interfere with what's going to happen in the UFO world. Uh, sit back and just watch. And he said, this is not a threat. This is just a warning. Uh, I can say his first name. His first name was Matthew. Uh, he actually was involved with sending that space probe up into space with all people's information in it. Uh, right after that, he was killed six months later. Uh, so, yeah, I'm dealing with people that were involved in that at some level. Uh, again, I have the actual letter. I could always send it to you if you're interested. But uh, the name I was blocked out. Yeah, I saw yeah, so It's a real letter. I mean, letter it, was, it, was text, it was text to us the day before we went to do this conference. Uh, and I don't know if you ever heard of Global Sciences, but they used to have people from all over the world to come lecture at it. And I, I met just about everybody. It was Global uh, Sciences just, Conference, right? I've seen right. it. Ted Gunderson was in front of one of those, the they FBI had, agents. They used to have one like every three or four months somewhere in the United States. Uh, 90% of the time, somebody was killed coming there. Uh, the one that had the uh, antidote for anthrax was arrested at the airport before he got on a plane. He never got to it, but he got out. Of, he, they couldn't put him in jail because he didn't have anthrax, which is what they said he had. Uh, but I got to meet incredible people that way. But uh, there was people that came to the conference that say they were aliens and people thought they were. And uh, I've been doing, I was doing that for a couple of years, but he died and the whole global sciences just went, just ended. But it was interesting because, I mean, I met all the most famous people that tried to say things and, and talk. But uh, Sergio and I were probably the top of the line because Sergio and I had the most pictures of UFOs, aliens, creatures, and you name it than anybody else in the United States. Uh, and, I mean, we actually had thousands and thousands of pictures and videos, uh, which we started showing what, that. What happened to them? What oh, happened no, we to still have. pictures? Oh, no, okay, he you copyrighted said everything. Had. He actually oh, sued me... Whitney Schreiber. Oh, you say they, they were confiscated? Did no, you no, say no, they were confiscated? No, 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 they were copyrighted. Okay, so very I, good. I was going to tell you because um, once we we landed on the moon, I – I left the big vacuum, uh, the yeah, uh, vacuum chamber testing. Went over to the lunar receiving laboratory, 
and I became the director of the data and photo control department there, which meant that I had access to all the original negatives and films and pictures that were taken on each mission and went over to the photo lab. Um, and then I would have uh, scientists coming from all over the world to get their samples uh, of the, the lunar rocks and lunar material that was brought back. And they would want to have pictures from orbit, the area where the where their sample came from, as well as on the surface, close-ups of the of the sample so that they could identify what the orientation would be with respect to solar wind and, and the particles hitting. So uh, I had original undoctored copies of every picture they had. And then I, after we finished up um, in Apollo 12, 12, 12 yeah, 14, actually 13 had, had to come back with 14, uh, I got a direction from my supervisor that said, um, okay, wanted you to get rid of all of the pictures. I had five copies of everything in filing cabinets. I had about 20 filing cabinets down this room. And um, when the scientists would come in, I could go and pull a picture they needed for their sample just immediately and everything they needed. But I was able to get rid of all of them but one set. And I argued with my uh, supervisor of the Brown Root Northrop Corporation that ran the laboratories. And I went back and forth, and he finally – I said, look, why can't we donate them to the universities and, you know, people that want to do some research? He says, finally, he said, I don't care what you do, get rid of all but one set. So that was my tacit approval, and I took and dumped one in the dumpsters, one whole set, and then he, um, let's see, gave what, kept one of them there, and no, I dumped it. Anyway, I wound up with one set that I put in a, inside a duffel bag, uh, huge duffel bags, and then took them home and saved them for years and years, and finally I had a um, knock on the door, and you talk about the men in black. Well, they wanted to know if I had any. They were going around to all of the people that had worked at on the space program and see if they had saved or kept any of the records and information, and they were confiscating them. And, of course, uh, with a top-secret clearance and all, my position was, well, no, I, everything belonged there. We just left everything in, and so they left me alone. And this was back – oh, gosh. Well, anyway, when I finally came forward back in – 1998, really, not that long ago, I was able to have uh, the originals still kept inside of plastic containers so they didn't get oxidized and fade in colors and all this stuff. And that um, now they're, they're called Ken's Archive, and you can go to the the uh, Roswell, New Mexico, um, what do they call it, the Museum of, of uh, Extraterrestrials and Research Center, UFO, yeah, UFO Research Center in Roswell. They have a digital copy of all of the records, uh, hundreds and hundreds and thousands of pictures and records. They have them there, and then uh, three different universities that I gave copies of that information to. So now that I was told at the time I was guided that I needed to get, get them out to the public as much as possible, then they would have to leave me alone because then the question comes up, okay, what did you do to Ken Johnston? Did you, did you guys bump him off or what? So I think that was my only – and now I'll say that for other people that have information. You have to – you have to get a hold of them and go public for your own safety because, unfortunately, until we have full disclosure and the government's accepting the fact that we are we are not the only beings in the universe and uh, your safety is to be public. So, anyway, I just wanted to throw that in on top of yours, and so I'll shut up and let the next one come up, okay? Come on, TJ. You're doing the rounds. <laughs> okay. A mad fell off, so he'll be back in a moment. So um, I'll you can take yes. it. See you, TJ. What? What? You can go now. Oh yes, I'll oh, yeah. I'll go. <clears throat> um, 
I was looking at the International UFO Museum for Ken, folks. That's in Roswell, New Mexico. And it is, That's right. uh, you know, the Roswell UFO Museum, our International UFO Museum and Research Center. And that is at www. which we don't have to really say anymore, World Wide Web. You can just say the name of something with the .com, .org, .net, whatever it is. Now we've got .agency, but Roswell UFO Museum, and they usually have a a big get-together in Roswell every year, and we've always supported them around July 4th. And Ken has been a speaker there in the late Stanton Friedman, and uh, we miss him, but with my allied command organization – it's part of my company, American Communications Online, so I've put it on UFO Association to build articles and bylaws. But we also have the UFO Association, and I've started these years ago. We have the UFOassociation.org if you're interested in being a who's who in a directory for um, a trade association. And I'll probably put the museum link on there you can have websites and put links if you want for free or charge either way but uh, i've had a lot of Mm -hmm. library type of things and uh, with our group here uh, we're going to start sharing more and more information and i'd like to share that Imad's back so i'll turn him on in a minute (laughs) Imad, i took your spot so you can take mine and tommy uh or rotator me and Tommy and you again, we'll talk about that. But I'd like to start sharing that more than I have because my husband's past and his legacy to me was to tell about the Allied Command and the patch he wore with five stars or we wore on our shoulder. And uh, I'm using that to come and bring my story out in my books I've written about for years, but I haven't really marketed them or put them out there. So I'm going to try to do better about putting the books out there for those that are interested in the original Allied Command and our relationship with beings that came and went because Tommy hasn't heard that part. Most anybody that knows me has no idea how that works. And it's uh, multi-layered, it's multifaceted, and the factions that uh, I worked with were highly intelligent beings that looked like us. And from what I understand, there are parts, and people have always come and gone from this planet. And so I have no reason to disbelieve what I've been told. So uh, what I'm doing is going to be disclosing the information that I've shared only with people here on this radio station or in my books. And uh, now maybe we can get together and uh, as the Allied Command group here. And, of course, there's different groups that call themselves Allied, our command, our communication groups. But mine is a communication group, and we're in broadcasting. And uh, I would like to share that the ones I worked with were very benevolent, and they were very high-minded, logical. And uh, they did not like the factions that would uh, abduct people at all. And I'll be more than happy to explain all that And uh, as we go along with this group. It's way too much. It took me 20 years to learn. What's that sound? <laughs> uh, let me see. Matt, can you go uh, yeah. next? 
I'd like to add something to that if I can. All right. Go ahead. Okay. That is, yeah. Let me, if you don't mind, ma'am. Let me do. Because um, if you look at the um, the photo industry, the company that makes all of our movies and all these things, and you go back into good grief, back in the late '40s, and um, when they had the the um, the War of the Worlds, and then you had um, uh, a lot of the TV shows. You had the aliens. It was a um, a monster bug that would, you know, whatever it was, go around and kill it. And then as time went on and we got into uh, uh, advanced technology and, and we got jet aircraft and we got the satellites were put up. And, and then all of a sudden the, the, the movie theater, they started indoctrinating us as people that realized that, oh, they're not all monsters out there. They're not all out here to invite us for dinner as the main course. <laughs> but uh, for us, like Star Trek. And Star Trek, um, gosh, I remember when it first started, the very first one. And uh, we progressed on that all the way up to the point. Now, that's that's how we wound up getting to a point where, as a species here on this planet, we're basically ready now to make the total direct contact, even then where they're going to be in direct contact with uh, our different various governments. But then it will all be for the benefit of, and yes, there are some negative extraterrestrials out there primarily where the one group all the reptilians and all that still want to dominate the universe. But uh, by and large, we are all uh, interested in the further development of intelligent species throughout the universe. So that's, that's kind of the way I like to see it. And, and the whole thing, the concern was, if you'll notice, we have been indoctrinated and slowly we've been brought up to the point where as a, as a, a being that we're ready to realize we aren't the only ones in the universe. There are others out there. So with that, Matt, bring it on. Uh, Tommy, I, Tommy, I think you should go next, and then we'll go back to mm-hmm. Mad because y'all brought me in, and we'll rotate back to Mad. <laughs> All right. Uh, I just want to say the new Terminator is coming out, and I guarantee it's going to be one of the biggest box office hits again, uh, going back to Creature Aliens. Uh, I believe uh, there's multiple kinds, and I dealt with so many people with different aspects of what aliens they work with, including myself. Uh, very few of them look human. The Pleiadians, which is what Billy Myers worked with, one of the most popular UFO people out there in the UFO world, uh, not popular anymore, but he had the most pictures and everything out there mainstream, uh, dealt with. And they're humans because they are us from the future. Now, if we go into other alien races, uh, if, you, if you're looking at the reptilians, the greys, the, the, the mantis, and mantis are, are higher than all the rest of them, uh, are very uh, unfriendly at any level. So it, it's like out of, say, I know a lot of the famous speakers spoke about 37 races, including your husband, T.J. Wright, and uh, how many of them look exactly human or even close to being human. Then you have to look at what their diet would be, and then you also have to look at Ninety percent, and I'm just telling you this because I know it's a fact, uh, that most of the alien races that come here are radioactive. Uh, now, the one particular race in the United States working with the government, the tall whites, they can't even touch us or we'll die. That's how dangerous they are. So uh, there's a lot of things as far as when we say, well, the good race. What is a good race? I know the people that started speaking about the first good race, and I'm not going to say his name, well, Alex Collier. And he was talking about his race. Not one thing he ever said about that race came out, but everything he prophesied did. Uh, 
But, I mean, remember Lama Kizadek said he was going to bring the crystal race out from inside the earth, which he never did. Uh, so there's a lot of races that are supposedly here or can be here, but uh, working at different levels. But the crystal race was always here. Now, when we talk about the uh, tall whites, they came here, and they're on a mountain on, on Area 54. So, yeah, we have different aspects of where, what alien races can come and be friends with us, never mind what they're going to give us. And I could tell you one last thing. Tesla worked with a race. I, I can't, I'm still trying to ask every psychic I know, every channel I know, what race it really was, not who they think it was. Because they gave him that technology, which is actually the, all the horrible weapons that we have on this planet right now. And when, when they go into G5, that's another weapon that was created for war. It wasn't created for a cell phone for people to use. So technology, what they're giving us, has nothing to do with helping us become spiritual. And to me, that's more important than anything else. And, and I'll, ask, I'll say one more thing. All through history, what alien race helped us make, create, or do anything spiritual at a spiritual level or even closely related to our word of spiritual and what it means? Because uh, going back to the pyramids, it didn't help people become spiritual. Going back to the Mayans, the Aztecs, and everybody else, they, they were still sacrificing women and children. So where's the spiritual part of that? I mean, when we talk about the Anunnaki, I mean, I don't even want to talk about them. They came with a couple other races. It wasn't just the Anunnaki that destroyed Atlantis. Uh, I was there, so I can tell you the truth about that from my direct experience being there. So, uh, yeah, I would love to see a good race. I, I would, I'm dealing with a light ship that blinks at me every other night when I go outside if the sky is clear. They blinked at me 120 times about two months ago, and I, and I said, look, you want to talk? Come down. Uh, I know they can't come near me, but I said, look, can you communicate with me? And I've been trying every kind of technique to do that. I work with a couple of different psychics. I work with a, uh, a person that works with aliens and demons. And he said, just open up to it. I said, I've been trying, and I won't do drugs to do it. Uh, then I won't feel it's real. But I'll leave it at that. Back to you, TJ. Sorry. I'm mad. Well, when it comes to technology, technology is a two-edged sword. Or a two-edged sword. I mean, it can be used for good or it can be used for bad, and that's been the case since the beginning of, of time. When, when a guy picked up the first rock and hit the other guy, he could either build with it or sculpt with it or he could kill with it. And that's the same thing with all technology. It's how we intend it to be used that makes the difference. Yeah, I, let me add one question. First time I had ever heard the statement that um, he made with regard to uh, the tall whites being radioactive, and that if we touched them, we would die. That, um, that's the first I've ever heard of that. Can you elaborate a little bit more on the source of information? All right. And, uh, I, 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 I'm, I didn't. I'm, I'm, I didn't say they would. I'm oh, sorry. I was going to say, uh, and, and I have been off planet uh, quite a few times. And uh, and I know I've been close to um, uh, the tall whites. Of course, it's like your ETs, the, short, the small grays, but the tall whites, the ones you're speaking of. So, okay. Um, I'll listen to whatever you have to say. Go ahead. Well, I didn't say they were radioactive. I said a lot of the alien races are. The reptilians are, are radioactive. The grays are radioactive. I mean, that's how they can find it, where they landed and things like that. That's what the whole MUFON program is about. Uh, but, again, the tall whites... Uh, my friend works with them directly, and he said that not anymore, but uh, they wanted to take the United States to another world that was just like planet Earth, and the United States refused to do it. But in the interim, I, I said to him, which I ask everybody that deals with their land, what's their favorite food? What do they live on? 
And one of the foods that they want from planet Earth is strawberries, believe it or not. And uh, I can, because I, I deal with the truth to the max. And I say, well, what race would come here? Every creature, every alien, every entity needs food if they're in a physical body. And that's what they need more than anything else, more than houses, ships, planes, boats, water. Uh, food is what keeps them alive. So what is their diet, especially like on Mars? What is their diet? What is on the moon? What's their diet? What do reptilians like to eat? Humans. What do greys like to eat? Humans. And I, I saw an actual video a video of that. And the tall whites, they don't, they're friendly. I mean, they're not attacking us in that point. They're on government property. Only one person's allowed up where they are. This is area 52, 53, and 54. I mean, and you go up to where the reptilian, uh, the higher the other races are. But basically, they took over that whole thing, and the government allows it. So they they were dealing with us for I don't know how many years. But he said he went near him, and he was unconscious and, and almost died for two days. Uh, so, I mean, on their planet, it might be different. But on this planet, it's different because the energy, the vibration, and how much radiation is actually here on this planet right now. And I'm, I'm going to just say this out, out of my hat. It's going to increase over the next five to ten years enough that reptilians can live here. Uh, and I, I was telling, I said it on the other show, the government knows how to destroy reptilians and greys as group consciousness, as a ship or a group of people. Uh, but as far as them coming here and living here, they, reptilians can't live here. That's why they're not here. The greys can, but they have to live underground, and that's why they do. So it's, it's you have to... For me, it's proving something beneficial to us. What can they help us do? And I stand by my favorite movie, The Day the Earth Stood Still. That's the way I see it going down. And if it doesn't go down that way, it'll be uh, V, V, the, the, the letter V, the movie V, how that went down. I don't know if anybody saw it, uh, the new version oh, yeah. of V. Well, I think that's the only other way it's going to go down. I don't see it any other way. That's my view by what I see happening. And mankind's level of awareness. Yeah. The day the earth stood still, are you talking about the very first one from back in the 50s, no, the or are you talking about the modern? Oh, the second one is ridiculous, but the first one. Yeah, yeah. I, I like the, the old one better. <laughs> okay. Well, well, Fair enough. Really, what you're saying, Tommy, is we ain't got no chance in hell. No. Yeah, and I don't well, agree with that. Well, no, everybody can say what they want. One last thing I'll say on that. Alex... Alex, uh, from uh, the Montauk Project, uh, Al, Al Bielik and Preston Nichols, but Al Bielik was a friend of mine, and he's one that actually went through time, provable, but when the people accept that or not, one of the first people to do it, one of the people that really did it, uh, went to 2037 and said that the world only has a quarter of the population, the islands will be run by mostly robots, which I see happening right now, and people have to realize it's going to happen soon enough. Walmart's going to be converted over completely to robots. They only have robots stuck on the shelves here in Hawaii. They're all going to be fired, and they're hiring all computerized things to work inside the store. So it's the future of the world, and that's not good or bad to some people. But if you're making robots and, and fixing them, it's okay. But if you have a job stuck in shelves, you're going to lose your job. I mean, but now they're going to, they're, they're going to pass all the bills to have every car or plane or, or drone deliver packages, and all those things are happening. And all that's taken away from mankind can do. Take away half of the jobs of the United States, we're in trouble. And that's the future. And people, well, you, people you take away half, half, half the jobs, you're taking away half the money. You know, so it's not going to be profitable for them to remove everybody. 
if well, if they're, we're right. still under a base society. Yeah, I, well, I've seen to. the same. I've seen the same science fiction movie and the story that you're you're talk, you're speaking from. And uh, right. I'm sorry, it, it, it's a little too negative. The the reptilians we were actually here before Homo sapiens sapiens were, and to avoid the the um, radioactivity problem, that's one of the reasons why they moved underground. And their primary is they only come up whenever they need need to to leave the planet or uh, get involved with our government. So um, it's it's not just uh, well, just straight and straight straight talk on that. I, I oh have no, to I, challenge you on some. I, I know we're going kind of like in a weird circle, but uh, do you know much about Denver Airport? <laughs> yep. No, seriously, do you know much about Denver Airport? The Denver oh, yeah, there's the base underneath all the way into downtown Denver. It's been there for a well, long time. I'm very well aware of it. I was even stationed well, I was there, there for a while. I, I was there the first year it opened, and they had in the floor, in the main room, it said U.S. New World Order. In, in steel, in the main floor, it had a plaque. They called it the capstone, which was a triangle. And it had a picture of all the presidents with trophies and everything. And that place was built as an airport landing, which it's going to be in the future. That's why it doesn't have a solid roof. That's why everything in there is circular. Uh, and I can go on. I mean, when Jesse Ventura exposed some of the things when right. they started building the tunnel. Yeah. And the roof it was, was made was built as, I mean, yeah, It was built for a survival during the, the uh, what do you call it, the hot war period with Russia when the concern was it was going to be a nuclear war, and uh, that was going to be one of the underground bases where people would just have to live and survive. And, and since and they did do a lot of uh, science fiction with that, and there are a lot of plaques and some things. That, a lot of things that are put up to deceive the public and make us uh, go down different tracks of understanding the real truth of what's been going on. Yeah, now there, there's still pictures out there on the internet of the original uh, building before they went in there and took a lot of that stuff out, uh, and uh, it was, you know, a lot of it they think was prophecy, you know, done by the artist. But uh, it, I mean, our government, their job is to be ready for any contingency that may happen. So I, I don't see no problem with them building underground bases, you know, and try to, you know, do whatever they can to to help the society survive. I mean, that's one of the jobs that they ought to be doing. Well, the underground cities, poor people aren't going to be able to go into them. They're, I, I can tell you straight now, the rich people have their houses down there already and what they look like. I was friends with one of the people that was building them. Uh, he has his, they gave him a city uh, house under there as well when it happens. And the people of uh, what airport is that? Uh, what Army base? Do, oh, airport. Do you well, really take, expect to go to San Francisco and pick all the bums up and take them down there? Of course they wouldn't. They're not going to pick anybody no, up. I, I asked you if you expected them to do that. I mean, they got to draw the line somewhere. Well, the one base. You can get into uh, the religious side. You can get into the One second. The one uh, actual army base, uh, underground city tunnel, whatever it is for the for the air force. Uh, they said they're only going to allow two thousand, uh, ten thousand people into there, and that the door gets shut. Anybody outside will never get inside. And they said that directly when Jesse Ventura was there. And I mean, I met people that were like I said. I had one friend that was actually involved with building them. Uh, he said nobody knows where they are. But the rich people all have their houses where they where they know they have to go when the destruction starts happening. 
I mean, I, I look at facts. I mean, I wish everything was beautiful. I wish. Well, now, uh, now if, if you put $5 million into the construction of this place, wouldn't you expect a room? Of course. So who supports all this underground cities? The rich people, not us. Well, Who's going to no, get in Not us. Can you blame them for that? I mean, if I could do it, I would. Oh, no. I, I Look, I'm not saying they're wrong. If, if I was a rich person, I wouldn't move into the ghettos. I wouldn't put my house in the middle of the ghettos and knowing that I have to live there. I mean, it's kind of <laughs> obvious that rich people. But there's three islands on the, in, the, in the world right now that host multiple millionaires, and people can't get on there unless they're millionaires. So they already are doing their own thing as well. So, yes, yeah, people with money, and that's what the whole thing of Denver Airport was based on. Who paid for all hey, that? I'm in, a lot, I'm in a lot safer place up here in Albuquerque, New Mexico. So we're basically one mile high above sea level, and, and it's centrally located in the whole continent of the, of the United States. So I'm in a much safer location, and I, I did it on purpose, moving off of Seattle, Washington, the ocean side. And the people that uh, – have known and they get themselves in the right position when if we do now see a lot of that stuff is based upon a contingency of of an eventful cataclysmic event or asteroid contact what have you it's not all negative from the standpoint of just the survival of of uh, the, the homo sapiens sapiens species we right. they're going to be survivors and they're going to be go ahead i'm sorry go ahead. I, I said it just don't all depend on aliens that's right well, no, well, I'm on top I, of you. Oh, can sorry, I have a, TJ, go ahead. Can I have a chance? <laughs> uh, I wanted to share <laughs> that those that worked with me, the reason I'm in communications now is because I feel like my job here now is to uh, promote what they gave me as a symbol, and now I realize it's, it can be taken as radio communication waves. But when I worked with them, it seemed to be the government wanted had a contract for me. So in my mind, I I can only give you the information that I learned direct from beings that to me were not of human form, although they were in human form. And I don't know how much was government, and I don't know how much was extraterrestrial, other than what I could feel. And they weren't radioactive, and what facts are depends on the individual because I never heard anything about reptilians until I met Janet and Tommy seven years ago on the radio. I never studied reptilians. I was not briefed on reptilians, and everything that people talked about could not prove anything to me. As a matter of fact, David Icke, a soccer player over in the U.K., had built quite a reputation on talking about people that were reptilians, including the uh, queen of the U.K., which was ludicrous to me. But anyway, everything was people repeating, which I made ace folk life because there were so many people talking about things on the radio that they couldn't prove. Nor did they have fact-finding. There was no who, what, when, where, why proven. There was no science data behind the myths or the stories. So the part I do know is what I experienced firsthand, and that these beings seemed to be look like us. I met one tall man, about 6'3", light-skinned, white hair, blue eyes, and... 
What is that sound? Wow. Might be my air conditioner. No, it was a real loud sound. Oh, uh, I didn't and then, Okay. And then my husband and I worked out repelling each other, but working with this Allied Command, it, they answered <laughs> to the Supreme Allied Command. And what I learned over a 20-year period, I had to really – Matt, can you hear that? Let me see if I turn Tommy off. Is that you, Tommy? Uh, somebody I, moving. Yeah, it was really loud. But I'm going to keep Tommy off for a minute because Tommy and I usually can hear it on his end. Uh, Tommy, I'm just getting putting you off for just a moment. If it still comes on, I'll know it's not you. But it can be the Hawaii connection. But what I'd like to share is that, you know, I'd like my chance to share things that I have experienced firsthand and not repeated about things I know nothing about, such as reptilians. Now, scientifically, when if you want to say that what we learn in documentaries are history channel, or UFO channels, or YouTube channels, or ancient alien channels, if any of it has any fact-finding at all, then what I've heard sounds ridiculous to me. And it's only hearsay evidence, which is not permissible in a court of law, at least in America. I don't know about the other countries. But when I traveled the world in, in, in space and on the planet and uh, in jets, <laughs> I never sat next to one. I was never uh, approached by one. I was never asked to investigate one in and out of uniform. And the only extraterrestrials that I did come in contact with were those that were like us. They were, oh, there's the sound. Maybe if I didn't know better, that's odd. Maybe that was, so that, let me check. Now I'm going to turn Tommy back on. It might have been coming from Ken moving or something because I'm on mute. No, no, no. We've been hearing that sound a couple of times every show now for some reason. When I uh, speak it's not sometimes. So it wasn't you, Tommy, and now... No, I know that. I, uh, okay, I've turned you back on, but I turned... Uh, there it is. Tell us uh, if is logged into your... Uh, your uh, I never know who's con- listening on Blog Talk because I only control one panel, but whoever controls Blog Talk Radio as a company... That's always a possibility that they're listening in because I don't know. I only have the control panel I pay for. But this is a point that what we think we know, is it based on what you firsthand experienced with your own body, with your own seeing, hearing, touching, smelling, tasting? Or did you just hear it or did you read it in a book and find out the author did proper research? Because – I've not talked to anybody that said they've really met a reptilian that could pass a polygraph or look in their eyes and see if they're really telling the truth. And if you if they had to swear to save their soul with whatever they believe in, would they do that? And I'm not at that point yet, but these UFO groups that get together and promote all this, I wonder how much is myth, how much is history really? Versus the government. Now, I have seen CIA and FBI papers, and I have seen them online, and they are open 
So that is disclosure. Anybody can go and look them up. That I choose to believe in. But I'm not saying that reptilians aren't real to some people, but I would like those people that have not saying that they've experienced it in their dreams or maybe one manifested in a multidimensional reality. But to them, I've heard stories, but that's all they are. And so I don't mind helping people with their life stories and getting their life story down if they truly believe what they're saying. But I don't, I can say that that is a folk tale because I had to go on a radio show once and uh, talk about what I believed in because I had said I was taken by aliens or taken by extraterrestrials. Um, I used to never use the word alien. I only used extraterrestrials because they look like us. So back in the day, in 2007, I started writing for UFO Digest. And uh, I hadn't heard that sound, but I'm going to turn. It might have been Ken, but I don't know. Ken, I don't think it was you either, but I'm putting you back on. But I would like no. to say that, yeah, you're back on, on Ken. Uh, well, we don't I'm know I, I, have, I haven't heard any of those sounds. Really? Except for the, the loud signal. I heard the, the beep sound. Huh. Well, this beep is me turning you back on. Uh, I heard it. Did, Tommy, had you heard that? Shh. Sounds like somebody spraying with an airbrush over there. Well, I, I usually keep mine on mute no matter what, but I, I heard it. I heard it all the times that we heard it today. Okay. So it's something between me and Tommy possibly in the lines, and it does sound well, there like there's somebody else. There's a Russian air sound coming from our swamp cooler air conditioner coming down inside my little office here. So, but it's a no. be a background background no, air sound. No, uh, okay. I go back and listen, and when I go back and listen to this show, I'll see. T- now, Ahmad fell off again. Darn it, Ahmad. Okay, well, Ahmad will come back. He's making sure it's not his. I'm sure. So, uh, I'll go back to to you. Uh, Ken, but I would like to talk about things that we know firsthand, and I would like to start classifying the source, just like Wikipedia makes you cite the source. You can't just go into Wikipedia and start writing about yourself, and they want, but how are we going to do this? Because we have our own experiences, and I would think that if someone has experienced something individually, that is their story, their life story. So, you know, developing life stories is one thing, but I have never heard in uh, anyone other than people that already go to the UFO events or listen to David Icke. And uh, we can research the words, but now I have read ancient history, ancient world religions that talked about various old, old religions, world religions that came from serpents that flew. I do know the ancient mythology, but I don't know that that is fact. So just saying. But uh, Tommy, uh, can I ask you an important information while I go about all grays or radiation? But uh, I just want you to know that Dr. Rick Miller came on this show and said he talked to a tall white. And it's now part of this radio history. That doesn't mean it's true. But to him, it's true that he went into Area 51 and sat down in front of a tall white. So I found that very interesting because that's part of his 
But he wasn't radioactive, just so you know. That's just the only well, story. My friend I met story. personally, personally I met, uh, worked up at, worked up there. He was testing balloons and everything, and that's why they, he made friends with the children of the uh, the, the poor whites, and they became friends with him. Uh, they weren't really friends with the United States uh, what people, was that government, man's whatever. Name? That man's name you're talking about, you need to cite your source. Like I said I firsthand, and I said Dr. Rick Miller was on my radio show. Oh, uh, was, I think, hold on. I'll tell you in one second. He's really famous. He's book, solid. He's book solid all year long. Charles James Hall. Yes, and I've worked, seen his story on YouTube. Charles Hall. Right. I met with Very him. Very unbelievable and I, character. Exactly, and his wife's on top with him 100%. Uh, Billy Myers couldn't even keep his own wife agreeing with him. But uh, what I wanted to say is uh, people, if they go to a lie detector, if they truly believe their story, aren't going to make it go wrong. Uh, some people truly believe whatever they say they experienced, even though it wasn't real. Uh, I would say to get the truth out of a person, we have five different kinds of truth serum. Uh, I would say try one or two of them on a person. If they can survive that and come out and say the same thing, I would agree that they're telling the truth. I would do it in a second. I would do a lie detector and both. I mean, what I experienced over and over many times in different realities, realms, and everything else, uh, I know a lot of people won't because they know. I, I would say let's do it to all the people that are on our show and see how many come up true. One last question, TJ, for you. Your husband said a lot of things online, even right before he died. Do you believe him? I believe it's his story. I know you what I experienced. No, no, I said, no, I said, do you believe him? I believe it's his story, Tommy. You, no, no, that's, that's not what, what I'm said. asking you. I'm asking I'm you to believe you it's true. I believe it's his story, Tommy. Okay, Believing, all right. It depends on what you mean by the word believe. I believe it's his story. I know what I experienced with See, him You know, firsthand. if I tell a story, but what, what we're trying to get to here, what you're trying to do is go beyond the idea of a belief and proving it. So what he said, I, I don't want to repeat it all on the air, but what he actually said, he did and was responsible for, do you feel he actually did it? That's what I'm asking you. What part are you talking about? You want me to say him? He said he worked for 30 No. If he, when said, he, said, if he said he did wait, it, wait. then she believed uh, he said he did it. Okay. He said he killed 144 people for the government. Actually, he, he also, said 135, but he, that wasn't all. Right. He also but said what he, flew he said 30. is that was confirmed kills. Okay, the other thing was he flew the first first UFO for the government, the president. Well, I don't think he said it like that because I know well, he what's did on say the radio. Like that. He said that he sat in the chair. Uh, I'm just saying, that's, that's, that's what you yes, should believe. believe that's closest yes, to you. I believe that is his story. Okay. That's what I'm Every, talking about. The difference between reading a book and citing your source. I would tell the story, but I would cite Thomas R. Morris as my source, just like you just did. You talked about a person that says right. he was in area, which I happen to know was 54. However, right. I also know because I have not met him. You met him, but I watched his YouTube. That doesn't mean it's true. The way I would say it is, I watched the person that Tommy is talking about on a YouTube 
does that make it real? You understand? You want to believe it or not. Exactly. Well, uh, most people fit the truth to around what they believe. Right. Their truth is going to be, no matter what I say to you, it's not going to convince you what I know or what I believe. So these are things that we need to get, and that's why the intelligence officer that visited me today that's been all over the world told me just stick to the facts. And because I represent the intelligence community most of my life, I feel that presenting fact-finding is a very important part of journalism and the Allied Command. And what we're doing is when we talk on a panel, I believe just like if it was uh, – I'm mad you're back on – just like if it was – and I've seen this on television. I've seen on YouTube where uh, Andrew Bashago sitting at one end of a panel – and Richard Dolan is sitting at the other, and I believe since they were on a panel for one of the uh, events that there's gotten to be controversy, and in between them was William Tompkins, Michael, Dr. Michael Sala, and I believe Corey Good or Emory Smith. I'm not sure which one. They sort of came into the picture. That doesn't mean I believe any of them. However, out of all of them, I would believe Richard Dolan because I've read his books and seen how he cites his sources on the data that he collects. He's a data collector and a historian. So everybody else, I don't know. So that's why I'm doing this with you and and uh, Ken and Ahmad. I want to believe that each one of us is smart enough to believe what we say is our truth as truth seekers. However – I'm just saying cite your source because radiation on all grays, I can't believe that. But then I haven't been around a gray that's radiated. <laughs> Imagine you're back. Well, it's your turn. Yeah, as far as radiation, let's, yeah, as far as radiation is concerned, let's take a look at our, our galaxy. The closer you get into the center of our galaxy, the more radiation there is. So anything that comes from closer to the uh, galactic center would have higher radiation uh, in their system. I mean, everything is radioactive. We are all radioactive. It's the amount of background radiation that we carry. So the closer uh, an entity that exists is to the center of of the galaxy would have a higher radiation count than we do. And I don't know if anybody that goes around with one of those Geiger counters, but that's what we always saw in the old movies. So that's what I think of. I've never used one, I, by I, the way, as an investigator. If you walked in with a radiation detector and checked the food, you can no, check I, I food and wood, wood too, right? I've seen it on television. You can hold it up next to anything. They had something up against some cereal on a television show the other day, and I was shocked. It had. Uh, radiation in it so Ahmed can you explain uh, you're just saying general and Tommy we're all going to talk right now in general terms okay so generally speaking what we see I will say well I saw that on TV or I read that in a magazine or you know what I'm saying that's all I'm asking is to somebody to say but Ahmed generally speaking people with Geiger counters in the radiation you're saying 
everything, and I think I've heard that in quantum physics. Everything but, has a certain background radiation, regardless of right. where you are. I mean, it's it's just a, a fact of science. Okay. It is a fact. Uh, I'd like to jump back in here on uh, talking about the, the reptilians. Um, I've forgotten who it was that uh, was talking. Maybe it was in you today that had Yeah, I've now, never seen uh, one. I just know okay, David Icke's story. Let me spread some little more factual information. Yeah. Um, the gentleman, his name was Billy Grider, Bill Grider, who has passed away. And uh, he was in charge of one of the construction companies that was building the um, elevator contact down at the northwest corner of New Mexico. I can't think of the name of the, the base up there. I think you're talking anyway, about uh, Bill. Phil. No, Bill Grider. Grider's his last name. He, he's, he's dead now. He's passed away. You sure it wasn't but Bill I, Schneider? I'm absolutely a thousand million times positive. <laughs> okay. Now I've only heard the here. Phil Schneider story. I'm sorry. Okay. No, nope. it's G.R. Grider. And uh, um, he was, um, you know, and like I said, I knew him all the way up until he, until he passed away. And um, he was involved in when they were underground and they actually had a contact uh, uh, and, and a battle with the underground reptilians and the, and the base underground reptilians there. Now, I cannot, forgive me, I can't. That auto accident has messed me up something terrible. But there's an Indian reservation right there where they have the underground base, and somebody's got to help me out with the name of the base that's up there underground. And Bill Snyder. Talk about Bill Snyder. And Dulcie. You're saying uh-huh. this, well, I know a Billy Grider. He's in charge of all the co- communication systems that they put in. The uh, the underground base there, and he uh, personally verified the fact that he he was there with the guys that went down and the military went down and had the battle out with the other uh, reptilians that were down underneath there. So uh, I don't have a problem with accepting the fact that a species of reptilians exists. We even find that in our ancient ancient civilizations of sculptures and and um, um, things that have been drawn out as showing what these things look like. So. There's I believe that they do exist. I'm sorry, go ahead. There's various things in mythology in mythology and in our culture, and they're finding out that this planet is millions of years older than they thought, and that it was hit. Right. So we have a history. But also those thousands of year old that the archaeologists are fighting about amongst themselves is the fact <clears throat> that they don't really know what year they're really talking about a linear timeline and I'm aware of that but I do know of the history in the ufology world of many many stories and uh, many people that have done YouTubes and uh, I just knew that the story you're talking about I don't know Bill Grider but uh, Phil Schneider was very uh, well known for uh, creating holes for the government and he used TNP Dynamite, and he also yeah, there is, uh, had a story with the yeah, Marines going down a shaft, and that's okay. why I thought it was Phil Schneider, yeah. which sounds like Bill Grider, but Bill Grider, yeah, then, maybe he's got a story you could tell us about or a book he wrote or a YouTube or something. I, I will dig into that, and I don't know if his wife and them still live up just north of Albuquerque, uh, the little, little town up there, just north of it, and... Um, but no, I've, I've known, knew, I knew him up until he passed away, and that's so uh, I have no that's reason to doubt. That's just a coincidence, Ben. It's just a coincidence. Yeah. But have you heard of the <laughs> Phil Schneider story? 
I have heard of a real Snyder, yes. But Bill yeah, Grider. Yeah. Okay. That's oh, just yeah, a coincidence. They sound alike, oh. and they worked on yes, a similar underground base. Uh, and yes. I'm a, I should never assume anything that you're speaking of Dulcie, but that is the most popular uh, in Atchaleta Mesa. Atchaleta. That's where the war went on, and they lost like ninety some servicemen. So he could have been one of them, you know. Yeah, no, Bill Grider was. He, Bill Grider was, didn't wasn't one of the young that died, but he he died of yeah, um, but cancer. Yeah, situation. Sure. So that's how you get into history because it's in the past, and somebody like Richard Dolan, a historian, would cite where he got his information. That's all Stanton Friedman was about was please, Teresa, you're an investigator and you work for the government. He believed in me, but he also – now, he, he gave me the understanding that he believed Tom and I because it was our story. But he definitely wanted fact-finding. That's why he wanted the book I had, the MCA 12 book, and why we talked – why he and I talked years and years ago – and uh, when I walked in to talk to Jesse Marcel Sr. in Louisiana, he had told me another man had just been there. And we came in at midnight with uh, the United States Navy gentleman. I was escorted with men in black because I was a psychic and I had been used for that particular person uh, in the UFO story because I had skills. So... I found it odd, and then later on, I tracked it down in Stanton Friedman, and I compared notes, and he was the man. <laughs> so uh, when when you go and you do history and you do fact-finding and you go firsthand, you, you don't know. You only know, like, there's a man, right, in the Jesse Marcel story. But I had – we had a two-year involvement there, Stan and I putting that story together back in the day before Donald Berliner got involved. And that was one of his uh, first writing partners. But see, y'all wouldn't know that stuff because I haven't said it, right? <laughs> I, got, I got a question for you. But how do we how do we know that you aren't still in the CIA and you're trying to pick out those of us that need to be under control? <laughs> I've, well, number one, when I went to the CIA, I had the test, and they sent me letters saying I was never in the CIA. And the only time I ever worked for the government, they told me that I worked for the Department of Navy. Yet when I worked with my husband, my husband told me that they, his handler, his CIA handler, brought him my file. And this is all on radio, which, Tommy, anybody can go back and look in the seven years. So if you want to go back and do an investigation on me, you can do it very uh, simply by going back and finding the radio shows that are documented here. So as far as we don't know anything about anybody, really, even if I said I was not, would you believe me? So that is an individual heart chakra or thought that each person has to understand because as an investigator, I got paid. So you can't track the government's money. I've had a lady try, and even the Office of Personnel Management that I worked through, I did sign a contract with the Department of Navy, but 
the uh, psychiatrist that interviewed me in Washington, D.C. in May 87, he stated that, do you mind if the, if the CIA buys your contract from the United States Navy? Now, I said no because I was talking to an old psychiatrist that was grilling me for my psychiatric eval. What would you have said and what would you have thought? It would, now, did I you would, say no, that, no, you wouldn't mind if they did that or no, yes, you didn't want that's to? What I, that's what I said. I wouldn't mind because I was an investigator, okay. and I okay. wanted to investigate. And as far as I knew, the government was needing intelligence officers, and that's what I did. And I traveled before I ever went in 87. But remember – maybe you don't know this, but May 67 is when I first did my papers. That's why Dr. Bruce Maccabee thought it would be a very interesting book if I ever wrote it, <laughs> telling my <laughs> truth. As, uh, you still haven't got it published. Well, you still haven't published it, have you? <laughs> TJ, uh, let, me, let me say something about uh, keeping track of your information. You also have to realize that information can be fake. Oh, yeah. Sources can be tampered with. Because you found a file somewhere in the government's uh, filing system doesn't mean it's a real document. People can misquote us. Misquote us, and then it goes into documentation. And the next thing you know, everybody right. believes that that's what we said, when in reality, it is not what I said. And, and a clerk giving a hundred dollars will go stick a paper in a file for you. <laughs> yeah, or something else. Well, let me tell you something, Ken, about Andrew Bashago. When I first talked to him, he told me his father worked for the CIA. So we talked for a very long time about Project Pegasus or what I thought was Project Pegasus. But at that time, he never mentioned a jump room, and we talked a lot before he talked with Bernard Mendez. And Bernard Mendez came on our show, this show, it's documented here, and also uh, a mad painter here, Thomas Becker, has interviewed Bernie Mendez. So there's stories out here there. We have Ten hours. Not, goodness. Did it ten hours? Wow. That's yeah, straight you, ten hours. Wow. So we've already documented all this stuff before, and then Ken came on my my show in 2016. So Ken, you're here too, on my shows. <laughs> I found them. So we have history here, folks, on everything that we're probably talking about tonight. Well, but the point I wanted to make about the CIA was not documented. It was straight live radio and no recording. Oh, you're serious. Uh, it was when we first started Revolution Radio. Oh, so he didn't you know, record it? Bummer. Oh, man. <laughs> well, that's yeah, probably, all that's lost. Plenty of kind of stuff when we first started. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's tell me, sad. Don't tell me you, TJ, don't tell me that, that this has all been recorded tonight. Of course it's been recorded. <laughs> Everything I do is recorded. Well, no, on this didn't. show. That's why I do it for archiving, but not for the CIA, although they don't need me to do it for them. They've got all the telephones and all the data and all the metadata, you know, with the NSA, and that's all common knowledge. If not, folks, go watch all the YouTubes. There's plenty Mm -hmm. of firsthand information from firsthand agents 
you know, but I, I do come believe... back in? Yeah, go ahead, Tommy. All right. Uh, two things. I, I consider myself involved with the two most important UFO events that happened in the United States. One of them was what happened up at Wanakee, New Jersey. Tesla was working with DuPont. I, I got all the facts more than anybody. Sergio and I, we went to the libraries, went to the police department, got every record, every file that was based on that. It's completely covered up because nine months after they flooded the city, ships were going in and out of the reservoir for, for, for nine months while the, uh, the army was stationed around it. Uh, but in the interim, in 1996, 200 UFO people were killed. But during that time frame, Sergio and I did a TV show called Strange Universe. And that was, uh, we showed some videos and everything on that show. The day after, uh, within a week, it was taken down, the show was taken off the air. They arrested John Ford. Now, John Ford's still in the nuthouse right now. Nobody will go near him. He was the head of a MUFON on Long Island. And he went around with a Geiger counter. Most UFO people that have money have a Geiger counter. They check for radiation first to see if a ship landed there. A crop circle is right. radioactive. So that's why I say everything's radioactive. I'm not saying it's going to kill you, but it is radioactive. So getting back to the point, John Ford, when he filmed the ship crash on Long Island, it was the most incredible video I ever saw. It's probably the most incredible video of an actual ship crash with the aliens laying around it. Uh, they got him in a nut house. He can't go to trial because what they said on public TV in New York and New Jersey, he had uranium and he was going to kill Congress. They... He had a piece of uranium the size of a pin, uh, or a dime, I should say, and he tested his Geiger counter before he went out to a crop circle or, or a UFO uh, landing, a sighting, and they arrested him saying he was going to put it in toothpaste and kill Congress. So he's still in jail. He's in the nut house. They won't let him go to trial because he sent that video four places in the world. They only get shown if he dies. So obviously they won't take him out. But again, back to the point of, 1996 is even when Phil Schneider was killed. They took out a lot of the secret or lower uh, UFO people that weren't super famous uh, because of major, like they wanted to shut down the whole idea of it. But getting back to the uh, Wanakee, New Jersey, that is an important situation that happened because Tesla worked with DuPont and Tesla was working with an alien race. During that time frame, they flooded the city. Uh, They built an underground, there was underground tunnels there, which they had, they said it was, if you pull it up online, they show you ex- uh, pictures of trains supposedly going down this, these tracks where, where it was. But it was up in the mountains of Wanaku. And that's where Sergio and I did all our UFO stuff. It's government property. You get shot if you go on the land. It's completely closed off. But we went in there five days a week filming ships, creatures. I mean, the whole mountain would light up at different times, and we had to hide and things. Uh, so, yeah, there was a lot hidden there. But that truth needs to come out because that's all based on after the Philadelphia experiment, and it was basically what happened after the Montauk project was opening. I don't know if you know much about that or a lot about it. It was very a very serious bad thing that the United States was doing. And during that time frame, uh, they were taking children from all over the world and bringing them there and everything else. But uh, as far as the facts, I went with a ship crashed. It, they let, they tried to let the whole area burn on Long Island because it's flatland try to burn where the ship actually crashed because it knocked out of all the trees for about three-quarters of a mile. And during that time frame, uh, I don't know if you know this, in the United States, the police and the, and the uh, fire department cannot go into a UFO sighting. If a ship crashes, they have to block off the area, but they're not allowed inside it. That's in under every book. 
my brother, I had two brother-in-law's cops, and they showed me it in the in the in the, in the documents that they had to abide by their code. So basically, they're not allowed to see what's really going on either. But on Long well, Island, when it happened, there are a lot okay. of talk to it. Again. But so uh, we when do close- learn from each other, right? We do learn whether we want to believe it or not. That's up to the individual, just like the listeners. And when you go back and listen, I hope you do. Ken, with you and me doing this with Ahmed and Tommy, you know, we can only support what we make each radio show, but it does get archived and it is recorded. So I want you to know that. And we can go back and check. That's checking, but all that's checking is the radio show, the date we had it, as long as I pay the bill. So I agree with Tommy. Things can go, and I agree with Ahmed, just because we have, and Ahmed, and Ken, you know this, you were Marines, and I was Navy, and Ahmed was Navy. But do you remember when you got out and they'd ask you what all you did, and the girl or the guy sitting there typing what you say to put on your CD214? I've seen it done. I've set it there. I still have it. <laughs> That's true. I wanted to add something in there. You know, you talked about um, they were tracking you and seeing if you had put out information or they'd take you out and stuff. Um, and I wanted to put out, you know, that's true. And you get threatened, and I was even threatened. But then the fact that I kept the documentation and records and then made it public to where they were available and in places where they didn't even know where they are, but that's the only protection that I had. And uh, unfortunately, uh, the governments, the governments have done everything to try to keep control of the true facts, the true information, until, uh, like the Brookings Institute said that you know the, that the population of people couldn't handle information, not to make it public. And by and large, most of that is, is still in place, although it's it's coming down to where the governments now realize that they have to allow the information to be made public so that we could have the full disclosure. So we're, we're making progress. Just hang in there, everybody. I'm I'm still doing my part, and I know you're doing yours. So I just want to add that, that the documentation and pictures and things, um, if you make it public and press stuff, then that's your safety. That's my safety button, okay? Right. I'll go I with think you. that's good. And for those that can do, those that can't, I had my people try to track uh, in the U.S. Army for me and my daughter and they, a lady that had come in from Washington to help was telling this gentleman, and I still remember it happened in Chattanooga, so it was probably 1996 or 7 when Gigi wanted to get in. And this gentleman in officer uniform, high-ranking, I don't know, but just in the local division, <clears throat> had the woman tell him to shut up and sit down. He didn't know what he was talking about, and he was really taking offense to it because she was from accounting somewhere in Washington, D.C., but he explained to her that my clearance was much higher than he ever heard of because he was telling me there was, he was he was ignorant to the fact that he was not privileged to the information, that's all. So he to right. him, it didn't exist in his reality, even though he was right. in the United States Army, but he was not privileged to even know about certain clearance levels. She, on the other hand, was in general accounting or in the accounting office out of D.C., and a lot of those people think even if you say you don't have it on a paper trail with your orders or your temporary duty orders, which a lot of us get, including me, is the fact that there's a lot of your TDYs can or cannot be traced or may or may not say what you're actually doing for those that are in 
financial affairs or in office of personnel management. Well, that, in, that's in the way that you usually tell you where to go. Tell the people okay, what the GDI is. Okay, wait a minute. What? Uh, what Amanda, you talk, and then Ken, you talk, because y'all talk together, and I didn't get to hear I, it. So. I said they just – they just a TD uh, orders just tell you where to go and to report. They don't tell you what you're up to. There you go. Okay. And That's all I wanted. Sometimes you can't find those, Ken. Go ahead. You probably have intel on that too. What is it? No, no. I, that's he answered the question about you, you know you said the TDY, and I want to be sure that everybody knew what that was. Yeah, it's TDY is what they say, but it's temporary duty. And when I looked it up, being that I was in personnel and information security or had investigations as my background. I was always curious to know what the acronyms were, so I would look that up. But I, you know, Office of Personnel Management. But we had the Secretary of Navy. I covered DoD and Department of Navy, but I had to train joint, so that's why I got to wear the various uniforms. But uh, depending on what location or what I was assigned to, it depends on the uniform. So I can confirm that I've worn all the uniforms except the Coast Guard that I'm aware of. So and let me add, um, a lot of people don't a lot of people don't realize what you just said, but I can tell you that classes that I took in aviation, et cetera, stuff, we would have people that would come in with uh, maybe a um, captain's bars on their uniform and everything, and then later and find out that they're only just a, a staff sergeant or master, but they were authorized to wear a higher ranking uh, uniform or, or a different branch of military uniform than what we were because that was the group that they were speaking to us and that's uh, why they were able to maintain the control and and the secrecy so yeah this even in my little small world of going through the marine corps so uh, i i understand exactly what you're you're talking about it because it's a fact it's true i was shocked uh, when i was given different uniforms and different bars and once i was working in uh the field as a corpsman but I was actually in there undercover as an investigator, <laughs> which was so most of the you, time, I think. Did you ever outrank me? Did you ever outrank me? Did you ever outrank me? I don't know. I wasn't in. I don't ever remember you being in a uniform around me, Ken. Only at NASA. Okay. <laughs> okay. But well, you would have outranked me because I was a teenager then working for ACAR as public relations are, uh, I had done my clearance levels in 67, so I already had my clearance, but I was told I had to have a minimum of secret just to go pick up my husband inside NASA as a NASA employee since he worked for the typing pool, or he was the supervisor, and so they had to clear me, which I didn't understand, and then I remember them having me re-clear within the next two or three years because I signed them when I was 16 and then I had to sign them again. And I think it was 72. So it must've been five years later. Right. Do you remember how often you had to do paperwork for NASA? Oh, I thought it was like every four years, but I was going to say, um, uh, when, when we would have classes and teach classes and be involved for the astronauts, they learn the various systems within the, uh, the spacecraft that we're in. Um, we we they they had to know that we were a certain rank, such as a not rank, but I should say um, uh, clearance, like top secret or or 
whatever the lower ones were, because then the astronauts couldn't speak openly, you know, um, and ask questions that they wouldn't know the answers to, unless they knew that we were, uh, say, secret clearance or a top secret. So we need to clarify that, that folks, when we talk in the Allied Command Organization, we're going to do our best with our firsthand information, uh, being that we are military or we're military, but we'll be more than happy to explain that your clearance levels are not your officer enlisted levels or your GS1 through whatever it is, 18 or maybe 19, I don't even know, 23. Dr. Rick Miller was in uh, as well, and uh, but he was a civilian, and so civilians have one – they can be wage-grade general service, uh, something else. I've, I've forgotten. But, so we can discuss all that, but we need to be up on what the latest is. We're, we were in it a long mm-hmm. time ago. Go yeah. ahead, Ken. No, no. I, my, my boss just walked in and brought me in some pizza, so I get to eat while you're talking. <laughs> yeah, Sorry and your wife, that, worked, your wife worked as a civilian for Boeing, did she not? She hasn't. Yes, she's she, worked. She, she retired from the Boeing company. She was She's the administrative. Going to... Yep. Go ahead. She retired. Her um, she was the administrative assistant to the vice president of the Boeing division for the solar power uh, systems that were designed. And so I came and swept her off her feet and took her down to Vandenberg, and then we got married. <laughs> That's yeah. a beautiful story. All right, Tommy, <laughs> your turn. All right, I'm just going to jump back a little bit. All right. Uh, I know you know the word Chernobyl, uh, Fukushima. Both of them are still affecting the ocean greatly. Uh, unless the oh, aliens yeah. decide to help us with that, we're going to be in serious trouble. But what I wanted to say about that, uh, I've been watching the earthquakes for the past 100 years, the past 10 years versus the past five years. It has quadrupled. I mean, if you look at the charts from the uh, 1900s to the 50s to, to what it was to the 75 to the 200, but the past five and 10 years, has escalated to maximum places, especially Alaska, uh, the islands around Australia, Russia and Japan. Japan's having super big earthquakes every other week now, and so is Russia. So there's something serious going on, but I will get back to the radiation. Uh, it's killing the whales and dolphins in super large numbers for the past five years. Now, 150 died last week, last month, 450, di- 450 died off in New Zealand. The ocean's getting contaminated. If an alien race doesn't decide to come down here and purify the ocean, there won't be any ocean. That will actually wipe out Japan and a couple of countries as well. So I look at facts and I say, if anybody wants to help us, if any alien race can, that's where they really need to start. Uh, and I, I dealt with uh, a woman here, worked with Jacques Cousteau, and she was close to Jacques Cousteau's grandson. And he was testing the radiation as far as it went. And whatever they said on TV and wherever it went was ridiculous. Because like you said, there's radioactive things in the stores where you can test your food now even. But there's five grades of radiation. Only a, only a couple thousand dollar Geiger counter could de- detect for the fifth man the radiation. I mean, every milk in the United States is radioactive. All the foods that they're giving us are pretty radioactive. But the, the amount of decimals they're allowed to expose it to is limited to the, quote, what's the level that we can withstand. Uh, that's why I'm saying... The, the alien races know that what's happening to the planet, right. or they could have stopped have that. Fukushima, they raised up the acceptable lower, uh, uh, acceptable limit of allowance, too. By right. the way, and don't know that. Well, that's what they yeah, do they, they when they go to the back. Oh, Sorry, now, go ahead. Let me go. If you go back and check up uh, uh, thirty years ago, 
when they talked about the earthquakes and the the strength of the earthquake, they totally changed and modified that to where we don't. Oh well, that wasn't as bad as we thought. <laughs> you know, when you when you're moving in in levels of ten times greater, times ten times greater, <laughs> we were having some pretty severe earthquakes, but it didn't. They might say, you know, it's only point. Point six on the Richter scale. Well, my goodness, that would have been, I'm not sure, and probably somebody could correct me on that. Point six would probably have put it about like 1.2 on the Richter well, scale. So what I'm going to say on that, I, pro- I prophesied the last three major earthquakes in the past year, all right, uh, and they were all point seven point twos. Uh, we had just had, I just said there's going to be one bit bigger than a 7.2, that bigger than a 7.5, so we had an 8.4 uh, two weeks ago. Uh, I predict. By the next year, we will have a 9.0, which will do a, a serious disaster to the planet. Uh, I don't know if you know about Tibet and these places that had the super big earthquakes. I mean, Alaska's having earthquakes of five and sixes every other couple weeks now. They never had them that big for the longest time. Yeah, they have 100 a day, but they're all 2.1, 1.2, 3.2, but nothing higher than that. The same as Russia's having yep. super big earthquakes. Yep. Now, right. you know now, now you know why I live a mile high. Now you know why I live a mile high away from the ocean by well, 500 I, miles. Go. I live on the, the biggest mountain on the planet. Hawaii Which is one? the biggest mountain. Yeah, but Hawaii, it ain't that Hawaii. off the water level. Uh, it's just that most of the island's on the water, but it is the biggest right. mountain on the on the planet. And if they get it from the bottom of the ocean. Well, the other thing is, if you go by uh, water level, if the water lowers and raises, there's always the same amount of water on the planet. So uh, I feel if land goes down, land comes up. And uh, and the Hawaiian people believe this island will come up. Uh, so, yeah, there's belief systems on all that. But I, I look at the facts. I look at what's happening around the planet. And the ring of fire is on fire. And it's going to be super destructive, which is becoming every day. Because I watch it every day. Uh, sure, they don't list what's happening in, a, in Australia. The biggest army base on the planet is in the top part of Australia, which is next to all those islands getting hit by the super big earthquakes. So, I mean, I've been researching this for 15 years already now uh, and quoting and taking pictures of the charts of what's happening. And I also feel alien races know what's happening. Uh, they have to. So whether they want certain things, I, I feel they're creating their reality so that they can live here in the way that they want to. Just my viewpoint. Oh. Yeah, and, and someday, uh, TJ, I'd like to, to have you record this down. Is, um, if we can get some people on to tell us really what all has been going on down in Antarctica and why Buzz got, got so sick and they got him out of there. There's a whole bunch of some great information that I think we need to get out to the public. And if we get the right sources, that would be awesome. I've been privy to some of the information, but not enough that I could talk long enough to sound like I had any brains at all. <laughs> but, uh, well, I've been dealing with the folks. Corey Goody and uh, David Wilcox are going to be doing two conferences on that in the next couple months. Okay. If you want to hear more of what they perceive and what they were shown, uh, Corey Good says yep. a lot of e-experience. So uh, it's up to it's whether you want to believe them or not because nobody has proof. Nobody showed anything about what's really happened. Sure, it's, uh, shapes in, in the snow and things like that. I have I have a picture of footprints in the snow that an alien made that my friend just took while they, while he was walking past them. She got a picture of it walking by, uh, but I I can't release those pictures yet. Uh, Bob Dean said no, so there's a lot of things happening uh, that that's out there that I don't know if people are really ready to see all the facts that are important. 
I mean, if they're coming here to help us, everybody wants to hear that. If they're going to help us do something good, yes. But if they want food, uh, why would they come here if they wanted food, and what food would they take? Just don't invite me for dinner, and I'm part of the plate. <laughs> who has the who has the, Somebody can take it. Yeah, nobody else wants to jump in on that last one, and I apologize Is for that. Is still Or did you disappear? She Are we on? Checking on us. Yeah, well, uh, as far as I know, we're still on. We, I'm, got another I'm here. Okay. I'm here. All right. Okay. I just had to find the right button, and I was trying to <laughs> run in the – well, you know, what we're doing here, we've got 15 minutes left, guys. You know, each of us comes to this reality at this moment in time and recreate. So I would like to just go with we're co-creators with whatever we bring for the week on Fridays to this show. And it will be what it will be. And if anybody would like to uh, find out, they can come and listen to the archive. But I do want people to know, because we missed our hour break to talk about things like that, but is that uh, I, I pay Spreaker to put it up on YouTube for us. And I pay SoundCloud, unlimited 16 a month now, just for these shows to be uh, archived on more than just Blog Talk. But Blog Talk, for seven years, I've paid forty dollars month, $39.99 for seven years. So I'm pretty sure that this is the best place for me to archive. And they've never stopped working. They've never taken away my shows. They've always been here. So for seven years, I'm pretty impressed. Now, where I do my servers and shared servers and hosting – uh, it's one of the biggest companies in the world. There's GoDaddy and I guess the one that owns 2Cal, 2Host, uh, big back to the ni- 1997, and I think one's more Canadian. I'm not sure, but uh, I can. ICANN was re- representing all the type of uh, domain names that we now use, and they've changed all that in the world. So. We need to look at the highest level down and and stop looking from down what's in front of our face up, whether it's the food we eat or the clothes we wear or the things flying overhead. (laughs) And just each person figure out for themselves their own reality because I'd like to in the future, guys, is to talk about things that people like to hear in parapsychology and phenomenology and also – other dimensions, what we're learning and where we're learning it. And I've, Ahmed, I don't know about you, but quantum physics is very interesting to me. You brought up a name about, we were trying to find a slogan today, Ken and Tom, Tommy. Ahmed, what did you say? Would you happen to remember <laughs> what we were saying about bringing us <laughs> not together? Right not right offhand, but uh, quantum spirituality, I think, is what it was. Okay. It wasn't what I was talking about at the Supreme uh, Allied Command, or wh- where were we? Did we get pe- pepperoni and sausage with that? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I have on my pizza, I think. <laughs> Sorry, guys. No, that's funny because every time I hear the word Supreme, I think of pizza. So, But no, that was the the name that I learned and wrote in my books, Ken. So. Is it because it's my my truth and I wrote about it in books? Or some of my books I use different names because I was scared to tell the truth and the reality of it. Ahmed, what do you call that? You use it 
and a lot of people didn't understand. But I was, at that time, my husband had me convinced I would, you know, go die, basically. Now he's dead. But he told me I could tell his story after he's gone. That was his legacy to me. But Ahmed, you saw that first book. It wasn't very good. I'd never written a book in my life, and it was called Roswell UFO Encounters. And it's all out there free now, basically, on lots of places. But uh, I'll have to I do that. I have a <laughs> Yeah, you have a copy of that, don't you, Ken? A free copy? No, I don't. No, I don't. Well, unless it's on my, unless it was digitally transferred to me, and it's digital yeah. on my computer. Yeah, it's digital okay. on your computer. It's a PDF. And Tommy, oh, okay. I don't, just, Tommy, did you ever get that? If not, I'll send you a copy. But that was me and being Sarah with Tom underground at Dulce, I guess you'd say, because we drove for hours. And we went to El Paso, which I wanted to discuss with Bruce Cornette to see if he knows of anything like these things, but I, I would like to compare notes of people that have physically maybe been involved, and let's start putting the pieces together, regardless of their history elsewhere. But Dr. Bruce Maccabee is our national ACO UFO association, and we've got ACO association separate from UFO association. And I can tell you through seven years of working with Tommy and Janet how I wound up with so many different websites and different topics. And uh, the reason was folk life and myth versus history and what is fact. And then I'm an investigator and a journalist type, but they didn't have my background. And Tommy worked in communications, not for ATT, but it was Bell South, wasn't it, Tommy? You you were in communications? Well, I worked with Bell Atlantic, uh, with ah. Bell South. But you retired or close to that. You had communication skills. I worked for them 20 years. Wow. That's a long time. And I did illegal things for them, which they were doing, which I can't – I mean, I can say now, but they threatened threatened my job, and they could put me in jail if I said anything about it at the time. Wow. Because I don't know. Do you remember the old days when they say, oh, somebody's uh, tapping my phone? Yeah. People used to test it. Well – the policy of uh, AT&T and Bell Atlantic, we merged together. Uh, they weren't allowed to tell a person that, no matter what. They would say uh, no. And basically what I had to go out and make sure that it was, because the only way they could uh, actually tap a phone in those days, they actually had to go into the main boxes you see on the street and the corner and places like that and put a wire from there to their line and then run it back to them. That's how they did a phone tap. But people weren't allowed to be told that because they only put it on people that were con- they had ideas of some kind of weird situations. But uh, then they had this underground base, which I was put in because I was disabled for a while. And it was a machine that I had. A, it was like a, a giant computer screen with a typewriter. And you type a person's phone number in there, and you can listen in on it anytime. And they don't know it. Then you can monitor, which is why they used it, to go in a person's house and see how many phones they had. Because in those days, you had to pay per phone that you had in your house. They would say, oh, he's got five phones. And they would send an investigator out to the house. Uh, But, I mean, the machine was kind of totally illegal because it says uh, under the policy that they can't monitor or track or anything. But they did. And they just went down every phone. Uh, They they had the computer go down every phone number 
and tracked and traced people's phones, and that was then. And I mean, I'm talking a long time ago. So, uh, yeah, technology has changed. Now they can just monitor a cell phone in the air. They don't have to go and do anything specific to the to the phone line or anything like that anymore. But, yeah, the phone company they has also, it. Yeah. Ahead, they sorry. also used to uh, – uh, no, no, that's okay. I'm sorry to interrupt. The, um, in, on ours, right after we really got uh, down to the Johnson Space Center and back in the middle 1960s, um, if you unscrewed your, your home phone and everything, looked down underneath the – the speaker, you could probably find thing about the size of a dime or a quarter, nearly a quarter, not quite that big, which was a, a transmitter who would transmit everything you're saying to another location where they were listening to you. Well, let me, I just want to throw this in. You might get a laugh out of it. I was in school with a friend of mine who was a genius, and he said his father worked for the high, high end of the, the phone company. So he says, well, I got a machine. He could dial somebody's phone number and send voltage back to that phone. And it would burn the phone out. And I didn't believe him. I said, you know, I don't believe that. Yeah, uh, the, phone only, the phone only works on 12 volts uh, and 24 when it's uh, uh, ringing. I mean, it's easy well, to it, one up. It goes up to 84, basically, when it's actually the high voltage because it shocks you. I got shocked thousands of times. I fell against the terminal. Yeah, uh, I worked hit the main line. for a few years, and that's what I did was make phone circuits. They they had the bell which they eliminated the wire the transformer for the bell because that I mean a light for the princess phone which was burning down a lot of houses so they had to remove that but I was just I was just going to throw this thing in I didn't believe my friend and basically well basically when I, he said I'm uh, I'll prove it to you and the next day no just let me throw this the last two seconds we were in class and the teacher came in. He goes, you won't believe what happened to me last night. I went to go for my grab from my phone, and it just started burning up. I mean, I couldn't stop laughing. And he says, what are you laughing at? That's not funny. Uh, and I, I knew the reason why, but I didn't believe it at the time. But, you know, yeah, he, and he, that, was, that was a person with his own private invention. So, I mean, there's a lot of scientists that are working undercover for themselves as well as working for the government. As well as the other government, <laughs> other right. governments, plural. Yeah, well, we, hopefully we've, we've progressed as a species to the point to where ETs can feel a little safer about dealing directly with us. Of course, what's the uh, what is it? The old Star Trek uh, thing is not to um, um, a, a lesser civilization that you had to be careful when you made direct contact. Don't don't dump information on them that they're not ready for. You know? I think that's where we've been for the last um, couple of hundred years. If I was a speaker at one of these UFO events, whether it was International UFO Congress or Contact in the Desert or MUFON or Alien Con or X-Files, I would want to know, am I speaking to the people that believe Stan Lee and the superheroes and the Comic-Con, or am I speaking to the people that are believers or UFO enthusiasts? are historians or archivists or researchers, and what do they want to know? And then once I decided who the audience was, I'd want to know, do they want me just to tell them a story they want to hear, or do they want to hear my truth based on my firsthand information? And then if I said this is firsthand information, is that is – that, what is that? Can you hear it, Tommy? I just heard it again. 
Is it me rocking back in my chair? Maybe. Do it again. Just see if we hear it. I'm I'm doing it now, but it, 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 I don't hear it. No, I don't hear it. Okay. So it's not me good. <laughs> it's probably that's the spy that's listening into our conversation. I've well, that's, Tommy, that's what I believe. Tommy, it seems to be when I speak about something in my past. Right. It, uh-huh. And so I noticed today when I was on Facebook, for the first time ever, my camera came on, my white light camera, and uh, the red button came on in Facebook, and I didn't do it. So I still hear the noise. I hear Anybody it. Anybody else? I hear it. So I don't understand. So it'll be there at once. So whoever's doing it's for me. And that's okay. I don't know. I'll find out who is not wanting me to talk. But I'm going to say this. In a mad... Oh, they're intentionally doing it now. I've been blocked off. It's like dead, dead sound. No sound. Hello. Oh, this is you don't like a, sounds like an ocean wave or something. I'm mad. Can you hear it? Oh, yeah. I'm hearing it. All right. Okay. All right. So somebody has access to my equipment or my phones, and it may be a bully or it may be someone in the government or it may be nobody, or it could just be someone that has access to blog talk or Somebody can just hack in. I don't know. But we have all those to contend with when we're talking about interesting subjects, and that could be part of it. I don't know. So this is something we have to look in because I've not spoken at a UFO conference, and if I did, would they want to know the truth of what I have experienced versus what I believe and what I know? And that's the difference is what we know it beyond a shadow of a doubt in our own soul. Now, there's a lot of things that happen to me that I can't explain to myself. So this is the part of the dimensions I'd like to talk about in the future. There's some really good topics, and we think we're getting into quantum spirituality, and we don't know that those two words have been used together. <laughs> so we we know that we would like to address the soul level or what you can take with you, whether it's your memories or your consciousness or whatever you call your soul. And we're going into this level, this next 5,000 years or whatever you want to, if you want to use the Kali Yugas, I don't know how we're going to do timeline. But there's many religions that all believe there's good and bad in everything. So whether we do or not, you can just know there's balance in mother nature and, Mother Nature, we know now, is not exactly what we thought it was, just like our archaeology isn't exactly what we thought it was. And I'd like you all to find out what's the oldest rock or oldest piece of earth we can we can find out about. And who 3. has it? 3.4 billion years old. Okay. Where did, and where did you hear about that? <laughs> On science uh, papers. Okay, so I did too. I think I heard that on a television show. But let's find out who sourced that. It was it Science Magazine? But that's what I heard. They only had one that said only rock they could find, isn't it, Ahmed? It's the history or the 
scuttlebutt or the folklore. The, the thing about the earth is it's always changing, and and so there's the, the original rocks don't exist no more. One of the moon rocks they brought back, they believe, is a little over 5 billion years old, which makes it older than anything we've found on Earth so far. That's And I just – so you must be listening to the same YouTubes. What? But do you remember where you can cite that so other people can go research it for themselves? Uh, I could I could go find it, you know, but I don't know. Not right offhand, I couldn't. I mean – Okay. But if, well, if you look are, up the moon rocks, you'll find it in the uh, in uh, uh, in some of the writings. It, it says, you know, the Earth is so old, and then it says how old the moon rock was. All right. Well, everybody, I guess we'll always have. Well, we're off the air, so whoever it is isn't on the blog talk. Oh, so yeah. we just we just went off. <laughs> okay. Okay, well, we I went off, but, um, but t- Ken, we're still recording just because the, it doesn't go off. Just because well, of that the means time I can, eat, I, can eat my, I can eat the rest of my pizza now. Yeah, and uh, but I'm just letting you know. But uh, if everybody would like to keep doing this, we should uh, maybe meet back here and think of the – we can have a meeting during the week, Ahmed and Ken and Tommy and whomever else wants to join our – our group, it's on Patreon, it's a community, and the first 500 will go towards us creating a YouTube. It asks us for a project, something we'd like to work together to do. So yeah, this thought, would be thought, interesting. Yeah, I thought tonight went real well with just like, like an opportunity for us to basically let, let, the, <laughs> let the drawers down and just talk and, and discuss things and, and not feel bad if we get challenged back and forth until we – we can kind of filter things down to where we're dealing with more facts than we are of suppositions and, and personal feelings. But uh, I, I, I enjoy and, it personally. And uh, quick, real quick, if you want a letter that that the government sent my friend right before we did that conference, uh, text me and I'll send it to you uh, about the letter that came from NASA warning us about stepping yeah. back from the UFO world. And uh, I, I, on each definitely. Um, can I give you, let me just give you my email address over over the phone here, or, or do you want my home address? It'll be it'll be over the air, or it'll be on the archive if you give it to him on the on the air. Uh, okay. Uh, you can best well, to, uh, Skype him and tell I'm him. Worried, I'm worried about it because I know they all have my addresses and numbers. Yeah, so he's a public figure on Facebook too. So, yeah. all right, Ken, you want to go ahead and repeat it, and everybody can leave their yeah, Facebook or their email if you'd like. Go ahead, Ken. And, it, and it's all all lowercase, or it could be a make something lowercase. It's Mars One Astronaut, and you spell the one as O N E M A R S O N E A S T R O N A U T, Mars One Astronaut at gmail dot com. Oh, I thought you were going to give yeah. me your home address. Oh hell no! On each one of your Skypes, I posted a link from a, a FBI uh, file that was. Uh, Unclassified, and uh, y'all ought to take a look at it. It's pretty interesting. The CIA government library reading room. Well, they just released another file of how much money they were spent on tracking Bigfoot. Wow. An FBI file. Maybe in the future we can do our finding of fact, who, what, when, where, why. But we can also cite where we're getting it from and then come up with some 
ideas for the week that we'd like to have a discussion are each person come up with a topic for the week are you know we can put these articles in our website and uh, I've got five of them so I'll be glad to you know offer those to this Friday night show if anybody wants to help write articles you know are we ever going to go to uh, to live Skype where we've got a video as well or um, we just stick with audio what's what's the game plan here boss you the boss well, it's up to us because, Tommy, we know we can do live any time. It's just a man feels like he doesn't have a face for television. Tommy doesn't oh. care. He gets out there anyway. So if you yep. don't mind, I, I'm the one that will have to put on the makeup because I'm a girl and y'all don't have to wear it, but I look <laughs> better with it. I'll be honest at my age. So it's just a matter of doing it because this goes on YouTube now. And uh, Ahmed can help me with, if he will, with the graphics. Janet's doing hers with the help of the uh, lettering from Ahmed for her graphics, and she wants to learn more. But we worked a little today, so uh, right now it's just going to be a picture and uh, the show, the words. But if you'd like to, sure. Uh, Tommy and I will be more than happy to help make you some YouTube or this group. I just went out and bought a high-definition camera for my computer because everything else is up to par. I mean, I got top-of-the-line equipment right now. So I said I might as well upgrade my camera. There you go. And, TJ, I, I put on my Starfleet Command T-shirt just to, just so I could be on tonight. Oh, <laughs> so you want to be starstruck and out there. You want your face out there. Well, that's good because you're a speaker and you're building – camaraderie for our organization and if people would like to have a face I don't mind you putting yours out there mine's on Facebook I'm considered a public figure because I've had this radio show for so long and I do uh, radio and go ahead um, well we still got all four of us here I want to ask this question here and get an honest answer because uh, it's been brought to my attention of of, uh, reality what is it of um, uh, the documentation and proof of what I've done and who I am and where I'm at, et cetera, that playing with this would uh, would um, cause people to not believe the reality, the, the true stuff. In other words, it would it would bring down my credibility. That was the word I was looking for. And, with uh, whose story? Well, I'm an investigator story that by trade. Well, well, because I mean, I came out uh, uh, and talked about when my youth and a few things like that, and we we talk about uh, uh, ET contacts and different things like that, which a lot of people and James Oldberg and the rest of them would be jumping all over it. You know how that goes. I I put up with them and others. I just want to be sure that I'm. It, it, that's why I'm saying to me, I can see where it's it doesn't hurt a thing, because if anything, it says uh, this is Ken Johnston here in. He's not the least bit worried about coming forward and helping other people come forward with information and playing games with them if they want to. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I just want to – in other words, is, is this the right thing for me to do to, to, to keep going and doing kind of like what we did tonight? You and won't hear so back firsthand. Uh, that's yeah. an opinion only you can make. But Now, I'm creating the ACO Association, but I, I support the UFO Association. 
So the ACO, the Allied Command Organization, I've got ACO Association Allied Command Officers, and uh, I'm not paying for all the separate domain names like I have in the past, but I own literally the name alliedcommand.org, meaning a domain name. And then the house is GoDaddy where I pay for hosting. But what I've got is it forwarded here. Now that's in the – what I provide is content. And in the publishing world, I am a publisher. And then right. if we go to the IUFO Congress, for instance, which you have been to, I would be a vendor. So that's all they care about is getting the money from me as a vendor. You've been a speaker yeah. and then been allowed to put your books on someone else's, or they provided you with a table. So those are two oh, different okay. things. But as far as the okay. association and this t- radio show, no. Now, working with Andrew Bashago, based on his – he's a lawyer in Washington, and he's very credible as a witness. However, his story that he has been responsible for putting in his domain name, projectpegasus.net, I don't know if he owns that name or not, but you can go to who is and look it up for yourself and then ascribe to him and what he believes in. His group would be projectpegasus.net as far as I know, unless you know of anything else he has, and read that story. Personally, I was investigating that back in the day when I found him on Facebook with the Pegasus, was a flying Pegasus with his picture, and I became a member in his group. But when I met him for the first time, you were with me at the uh, Mobile uh, Mars Anomaly Conference, so – Right. As far as you working with him, he hasn't said uh, – he told me firsthand face-to-face that he would prefer to be his own producer at the uh, Mobile Mars Anomaly Research Society. And he and I never really had time to discuss the project that I was a member of his organization. Unless he's kicked me out, I guess I still am, but I don't know how much he runs Project Pegasus. That's what I wanted to discuss with him because – I was a member of that at the psychic level, and I wear a Pegasus on my leg, so I wouldn't forget that. And it was very important to me working for the government to remember what projects I worked on. And it's set gotcha. become more of a Stan Lee comic group in uh, in cyberspace. So okay. it, it did become uh, Mad, how would we say that? It went from Stanton yeah. Friedman type energy to Stan Lee energy because it was mishandled. Uh, so, how would you say I, that? That's just one project. I just want to maintain. I just want to be sure I'm maintaining credibility, and I am enjoying very much uh, participating in in what we're doing, and because we're bringing out a lot of facts and good information and data there, and uh, and even when we go to a big conference and stuff and. As far as I'm concerned, I'd put on my flight suit and the whole darn bit and uh, have our whole teams and groups of people that are involved in, and they use the term playing, enjoying learning uh, as part of the process of, of getting everybody ready for full disclosure. So I, I'm, I'm good to go both ways, but if it's going to take away from my credibility based upon the documents, records, and pictures and information stuff that I've saved all these decades, I, I would have to probably choose to – to stay into that instead of what I'm doing now, or both of what I'm doing now. I, I prefer to do both. We'll put it that way. Well, let let Ahmad and, and Tommy give you their opinion because you mentioned Andrew Bashago in the beginning and 
what you wanted to do with him. Uh, and he's not in this organization, but he's a friend of yours, and I met him. And I talked to him years yeah. ago, and I met him in person, and I personally like him. He's a yeah. very likable person, and I just right. wanted more data. And I believe he has the intelligence to talk to me at the quantum physics level, one of the few beings on the planet with mallet and uh, yeah. time time travel as a real uh, quantum spirituality level that we're addressing, or at least Mad Eye and Tommy at some level. But each individual that hears his story may or may not believe how he teleports, whether it's in his imagination or in his 3D reality, or is it in 5D or 13 or 11? Is it in a dimension? Is it in another universe? How does he travel? These are all questions people have, like with John Titer and the Titer story in the IBM coming back. This is a time traveler story. And Janet works with time travelers. As I, I, I started with a MAD in 2014 on ERACOP, Education Research Association Community Online Press, to handle time travel stories. But Janet didn't like the name and didn't want to handle the stories. But now in 2019, she wants to handle those. So go figure. So everybody, we're handling everything and nothing. Ahmed, could you give your opinion? Yeah, I want to hear what they have to say. I I knew where you were pretty much, but I want to hear theirs. Well, uh, being credible, uh, I mean, your, your credentials are credible, period. There's no doubt in your credibility. Yeah. You know, I mean, so how can that? I mean, you you already associate yourself with Andrew Bashago, uh, Richard Hoagland, Hoagland. I mean, so I mean, we're no worse off than them guys. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) I'll keep that in mind. How's that? Tommy, you want to talk? I want to have fun. I like to have fun in life. I mean, good God, we deal with enough negative crap that it's nice to have something that you can be yourself on, but yet still stick with the truth or stick with something that's, you know, borderline on uh, truth and using both to get the whole the whole truth out to uh, Well, you're, you're not so. telling people what to believe. You're showing facts and what you, you perceive to be, uh, you know, reality. And it's up to them to choose what they be, believe, regardless, you know, of what you're saying. But you're giving them food for thought. Well, okay, okay. Um, so, and you're, you're saying that if I, I go ahead and <clears throat> keep playing here, that uh, it's not going to decrease my credibility, because if they do the research and they look at who I am and and everything else, everything's there, and they can. Decide if right. they want it's there. I yeah. mean, it's in reality. There's no turning back from it. Some of the stuff you're that not, we are doing, you're not, TJ and I, we know is real too. You guys are some we were dealing with truth. Go ahead. Well, you're not attacking yourself. You're putting your truth out there, which is actual truth to you, which is real. And I feel if people have evidence and you know, like you have documents, you have a lot of different things to prove who you are and what you are. And that's yeah. really critical. Uh, because most people have zero proof, zero anything. I mean, all my things that went down, I had a witness with me, multiple witnesses, one witness at least. Uh, when the alien came in my house, uh, my, my best friend was with me, and we went to beat it up because uh, it was walking around downstairs in my basement. 
but again, when you have a witness, when you have facts, when you have documents and pictures and all that help increase the awareness of what really went down. And since you have so much, like you said, you want to wear your uniform, that just rounds it all out and makes it really cool. So I support okay. it totally. Boy, appreciate it. I just and the only time I've been questioned, Ken, the only time I've ever been questioned in my life was by AT&T when they put me on the line with some high level because I had a name change based on the fact that I did have a marriage certificate. But they said when it wasn't my original name that I was using an alias. So I had to go through all kind of backtrack with AT&T, even though I knew I was married to Thomas R. Morris. They had to go get me on the line and track me back and ask me questions back to when I had my first phone in Houston, Texas as a teenager. So that was amazing. They said they have over 50 years of records on me. Can you believe that? And I'm still using a contractor with my cell phone, so they've got sixty about sixty years now. <laughs> the other one was the government. I called for government. Yeah, a lot of us have been. Who is it? Um, uh, you, you're our good friend here. He said chosen by extraterrestrials. That was um, yeah, uh, William Tompkins. Uh, I don't know how to say the same thing, but as I mentioned in the very beginning, whenever I was. Uh, only three years old, and then the, the Tom selected me, and then um, I'm being dead for like 49 seconds, and a walk-in. You know, those type of things um, um, are all part of who we are and what what makes us who we are. So I, I, I think chosen or used probably is a better term. Being used by extraterrestrials, you know, that's part of why I wound up where I am at what we're doing right now. So I think we all have a good purpose here together. Well, this is findings of fact for oneself, whether you believe it or know it. It's if you lived it and you know it beyond a shadow of a doubt. And if I know I can go into a court of law and to this day put my hand on the Bible, and I swear because I've been a professional investigator and I've been an expert witness in court cases. So I know what it feels like to swear in court as a, as a professional expert. So being that I have been one, I know how scary it is to have all these people looking at you, depending on you to tell the truth, Ken. And I have nothing yeah. to gain except if you look at it like now I'm a publisher working in content providing and I make no money. I think I've made 84 cents on Spreaker maybe in three months. <laughs> they never pay you enough commission. It's not even worth signing up for, but it's called Commission Junction if anybody's interested, but there are groups you can look at, but trust me with the advertising and I don't put any advertising on any of my websites. Now talking to mad, so I don't have to start paying the bills anymore or stop. We may start playing our, our professionally being a trade association and build in our own marketing and advertising. And if we do, we will then tell people if this is a nonfiction story by a mad painter in science fiction or an audio book versus this is my biography by myself, right? Isn't that right, Ken? So your yep. book is your is your – Ken's Moon is your biography, isn't it? It is my autobiography, and it's all the way up to print. Okay, I just wanted to hear it from – from other people that I enjoy 
a relationship with that I can trust. So we'll put it that well, way. Well, yeah, what we'll do is we'll separate it's, fiction in a spoke life. We'll say if it's folklore, myth, legend, hearsay. And versus finding a fact, or, or as an investigator would do, which Richard Dolan says we need in the UFO business. Now, whether somebody is a real ufologist or alienologist is based on their research, their findings of fact, and their archives. What, what can they? What are they doing? Are they collecting fiction? Or are they collecting nonfiction? But it's not so That's much out there in Amazon anymore. Imagine yeah, you're I'll... more professional on that, aren't you? On what, how do we tell the difference? Well, it, yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, I'm i writing fiction at the moment. I mean, when it's nonfiction, I'll state that it's nonfiction, you know? Right. Okay. And Tommy, um, Tommy writes spiritual, but he writes his, it's like autobiography or experience he's had when truth is called crazy, I believe, was Tommy's first book, wasn't it, Tommy? It was no, real no, my first book was How to See God. My second book was When Truth is Called Crazy. That was my autobiography. So what we have in common, Ken, is we're all authors. And I have authors right. book club. And right now, because I was too lazy to uh, figure out how to put people's books and put them up for sale, I haven't done that. But if we have people in our trade association that want to market their books, I, as a affiliate of Amazon, can pull their books off and put them on our site. And if we sell them, we may make a certain, I don't even know how much, 2 or $3, maybe a book. I don't know how much Amazon allows us to resell them for. <laughs> you but, don't even make 2 or $3 when they sell it for you. Okay, you don't even make it. So it's got to be where the people making the money are really the producers of the product or the service. And Amazon does not only the printing and the uh, first in, first out, or what they call uh, immediate publishing on the IBM. I don't know what machines they are nowadays, but they only print them when they're ordered. But they have the money in the distribution, so they make it yeah. on the distribution, as far as I know, in the centers, right? Oh, so well, I don't know how we're going to do yeah, we'll, we'll have to work it out somewhere. I mean, it sounds like you've got some experience there we can all draw upon. I appreciate that. And I'm, I'm into I'm, – I'm, right now I've got to get both my, my first two books, and that's Ken's Moon, uh, you know, the uh, Revealing the Dark Mission of NASA, and the second one was The Regression of a NASA Whistleblower. I've I'm, I'm got the recording of everything of the, the second uh, regression, and which gets into all kinds of good stuff. On the teleportation and the jump rooms and and the, the jumper as I called it the little craft that I could move around on Mars and and rescued um, uh, uh, William White Crow and and Andy Bichago and then the other thing is and then where the um, hangar bays were and how we and all that stuff came out of my brain after I mean during the hypnotic regression so I but then there were so many not typos but mistakes and and things like that in both of them and I. Hate to tell you, but you know who the ones that were the edited for me, and I'm going to have to get somebody better to do the editing. If I can get my wife to do it, that'd be good. But right now, well, she's not working. Wasn't me, she's but we in the past we've worked with Bill M. Tracer out of Tennessee. And we have a five. We have what call a beta team, and my mother taught me that. So in my family, we had five people. But I didn't do any of mine to be professional enough to care, so that's why I don't bother selling them. 
But if we go forward, this professional group will definitely use a beta team and five people to help check the editing. But we're all using Grammarly these days. And so uh, what it is is you take the first five copies. Once you get it as proper as you can for yourself, then you take the first five copies, distribute them to your beta team. They go through it, read it, make notes where the mistakes are, and send it back to you, and you have uh, your editor, whoever, publishing printer, because most of the electronic publishers, they want you to send in, and they they will reprint it exactly as you send it to them, and that's everybody. Yeah. So I know all it. the big companies, all the Vantage Press, uh, iUniverse, all of them just strictly do what you send them in their form, and they'll usually give you a sample or a template to put it in. So that's all we all do, the publishers like me that are electronic publishers. But what I offered people when I met Janet and everybody was we would go ahead and I checked uh, people that came to me, their books, and my husband's and uh, a guy named Steve something, but I gave his book back later, but he did he did sell well. So that's just something we're thinking about if people want to move forward. And we have uh, various people that do covers, including – a mad painter, Bill Tracer, and Tony R. Elliott's wife, Bonnie. So those are three people that do them. But we'll just work together and see what everybody wants to do. So everybody, whatever you want to bring to the table, we are basically content providers into cyberspace. And we're concentrating on audio right now, broadcast. And, and uh, Ken would like to get into video, video, and everybody can add on their YouTube. But that's for the next show. But uh, Ken, get with a mad, and we'll have a meeting on what our potential is for 2020, including right going to an event. Okay, we'll talk about that. You got it. Hey guys, enjoyed chatting with you all. Let's keep it up. Got a good team. All right, it was a pleasure. All right, we'll meet again. Mad, thank you. We all went over. Okay, on a good show. Thank you, Mad. We'll meet back. We'll meet back. Oh wait, Sunday we have a spiritual show, five to seven. Ahmed, your show is Sunday morning, eleven to three on Re- Revolution dot Radio. Eastern. Eastern. Okay, eleven to three Eastern. So that's ten to two my time. I'm usually not up till afternoon anyway. <laughs> All right, my hours are usually eleven to seven, folks. Uh, those are my hours. Thank you, Ahmed, for your patience, and this will get better, folks. We're this is just our first one with the four of us, and every week could change depending on who wants to show up. Thursday night we'll have with Alien Contact Org, and you're you're going to keep trying to help us with that too, right, with Dave Emmons and Dr. Bruce Cornett, right? If I'm around, I will. Okay. Thank you, Ahmed. You've been a big, big help. We sure depend on you. Thank you for doing a good job, okay? You all have a good evening. I'm going to... I'm going to make a quick run to the outhouse. Goodbye. Thank you, Ken. All right. Good night. All right. I'm going to go now, Ahmed. Thank you. And, All right. Well, uh, I guess I'll I'll call you on Skype tomorrow before Sunday. Oh.